Hey, everybody. Uh, before we get into today's pod, I just wanted to clarify, uh, we recorded this pod before the John Gruden news dropped on Monday night. Obviously, that is a massive story in the sports world that uh, we did not know was going to be coming. And uh, for those who don't know, you know, John Gruden has uh, been let go as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders after about seven years worth of emails were uncovered during uh, the Washington football team investigation for workplace misconduct. In those emails, he used absolutely deplorable and disgusting language, uh, homophobic slurs, racial tropes, as well as sexist comments, um, really just disgusting language all, all the way through. Uh, he targeted female referees, uh, Roger Goodell, gay football players, and um, frankly, just really, really gross stuff here. And uh, it's an important thing to have been to talk about here. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to, to at least, you know, clarify this. We uh, will probably get into a little bit on, on Friday's pod, but just for now, so you guys know when you listen, that all happened after we were done recording. So uh, thank you for, for tuning in, listening, and uh, enjoy the, the rest of the pod. We'll get back to the rest of the stuff later on in the week. Bring it in and welcome to the Read Option Podcast, an unreal weekend of sports. One of the best weekend of sports I think we've had and probably since at some point maybe with you know, NBA and, and the playoffs with that and hockey. There's a couple of good weekends around there, but this weekend was just absurd. It was, it was drunken the entire weekend, starting Friday night. Baseball playoffs were great. A couple of good college football games. Saturday, one of the most insane, absolutely bonkers, probably the greatest college football Saturday I've ever experienced. And I've heard similar sentiments from people even older than I am and people who've been around the sport even longer than I have. And then to cap it off, just an unreal Sunday with uh, NFL games going down to the wire, missed extra points, missed, missed kicks, Five straight weeks with an overtime game. We also had a championship heavyweight fight on Saturday night, which was electric. So we have a ton to get to here. And we're bringing back the sports gumbo. Uh, and this is not a traditional sports gumbo where we spend like 20 minutes on each thing. This is just, there's so much to get to. There's so much going on. And we have to touch on a little bit of everything. So we got your NFL coverage, got your college football coverage. We're going to sprinkle in some MLB playoffs, some boxing, and uh, hell, I mean, even we have preseason hockey and preseason basketball going on. So it's crazy. And, and uh, no veto most, today. It's the most veto. wonderful time of the year, though, Jeff. Yes, it is. And I was just about to introduce you, Scott. And uh, you had to step all over. Man, sad. <laughs> uh, no, that is the voice of Scotty Miller, who is with me. No veto today. Uh, veto dealing with some personal stuff. And we send him all the love and, and uh, well wishes as, as we possibly can. Love that guy. Uh, but Scotty and I got it. We're, we're manning down the fort right now and uh, excited to get into it. So, Scotty, for as wonderful of a sports weekend as it was for, for most sports fans, 
Admittedly, I will say, despite the fact that your Giants did win on Friday night, uh, it, it was a bit of a rough weekend for you between the Penn State, Sean Clifford injury. That sucked um, because you guys definitely were in control of that game. And I do think you're the better football team, which we'll get into with our college football stuff. And then the Niners saw some decent stuff out of Trey Lance. Not too terrible in his first start, but uh, either way, a couple of couple of L's. So how are you holding up? And objectively, can you at least admit that the weekend was pretty ridiculous in terms of sport sporting events? Yeah, as an unbiased sports fan, I mean, yeah, it's hard to compete with, with that level of of insanity. I mean, that, it, there was a, a ton of stuff, and you hit it at the top. Is is the wild college uh, football day on Saturday? Uh, and it started off with the bang with that that Red River Red River rivalry game, yeah. and, and that was just insane. And that set the tone for the day. And then on Sunday, the uh, both windows really, but the the conclusion of the late window. There's always one or two weekends a year or one or two Sundays where I, I'm sitting on the edge of my couch listening to Scott Hansen go quad box and like yeah. at four o'clock as, as the, the early window is winding up. And and there's just so much action that uh, that you can't help but sit on the edge of your seat. And this was one of those. So uh, so fun to watch. And then obviously with the baseball playoffs going on, I'm super invested, of course. Um, go Giants. And um yeah, man, it's just it's nuts, and and like I said at the at the beginning, we're we're hitting that uh, the the sec my second favorite time of the year is in the spring when all of these things start to to converge, and you have the the NC two A tournament on top of it, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know hockey playoffs, basketball playoffs, um, football drafts, all that. This is the best time of the year when you get everything happening at once. Hockey's coming regular season, basketball is coming regular season, college and NBA. Uh, we're in the in the throes of of uh, playoff uh, baseball here. We're in the hitting the almost midway point of the NFL and college season. So uh, in football, so I just this is great. It, it really is. Seriously, like <laughs> this, like this past weekend ranks as high as as any weekend of sporting events as you can have. I mean, I mean, it goes, like you said, from everything. Like, if you're a huge NBA fan, you casually watch college football and casually watch NFL. You got pre- NBA preseason basketball to watch, but then you also have all these other games that were all electric. Um, you said it, like, the Saturday slate, you know, from the Red River shootout or Red River rivalry, Red, Red River showdown, I think is also an acceptable way of saying it now. Um, you know, that game, I, I put it up there with Texas USC in the 2005 or 2004-05 Rose Bowl. Like, it legitimately was as great of a college football game as I've ever seen in my life in a historic place, a historic stadium, like the cotton bowl, the burnt orange and the red of the Sooners. You know, it, it was an unbelievable show. There were some other really good games that one o'clock or that uh, noon window as well. We had the Ole Miss game, the Ole Miss Arkansas game, which was absolutely electric Arkansas going for two to score touchdown as time expires, decide to go for two to try to win the game, end up coming a little bit short. Uh, the Georgia Auburn game looked like it might've been a little competitive. And then Georgia just, you know, flexed their muscles and said, get out of here. The Iowa Penn state game, you know, was, was really tight. And it's, again, it's a shame about Sean Clifford. And then you wrap it up with number one, Alabama going down to Texas A&M an A&M team that did not look like they were even capable of doing that, but we'll get into more of that after we get through our NFL talk. Uh, we will hit a little bit on the Tyson Fury 
We will hit on the MLB playoffs as well as we saw the, the Red Sox with they how they walked that off last night. And some of that, I'd be I'm very curious to get your thoughts too on, on that ground rule double there at the top of the 13th. Because um, it was a very close call. It's a really interesting kind of niche baseball rule, uh, which I always think, you know, as a former baseball player yourself included, like I love the little details in that that make baseball so special. So uh, unbelievable sports weekend. But as we all know, the NFL is king. So that's where we're going to start. Thursday night game, Rams cleaned up. Uh, that game is not as close as the final score indicated. I know, you know, they were kind of making a push there at the end with Geno Smith. The big tick takeaway from that game is Russell Wilson out six to eight weeks, potentially hope they're hoping on the lighter side of that. They're hoping maybe a month to six weeks, but a, a torn, I think it's a torn ligament in his throwing finger. Uh, that is his, his middle finger on his throwing hand. That is, that's a rough one. That's a tough one to come back through quickly. Uh, and the Rams, I think that's a big bounce back win after getting housed by Arizona. But it seems as though that NFC West that we all came into the season thinking, man, they're going to be so lo loaded, but there's going to be a little cannibalization. We're starting to see some of that, but the Seahawks and Niners are you know, kind of on the lower end of it. Jimmy G comes back. The defense looked great for San Francisco. I still think that division could go to any of the three teams there at the top, I think the Seahawks are probably out of it for now. What was your takeaway from the Rams and Seahawks on Thursday night? It was interesting because uh, right when the Seahawks offense really started to click, and I think that was the first time of the year that they actually, everything started to mesh really well. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when you saw Russell Wilson go down. And then who do you turn to? Uh, you don't expect Russell Wilson to get hurt. He never has in his career. And all they have to, uh, to defend or to counter that move is Geno Smith. Yeah, he's like, never missed he's, a start. Isn't that amazing? I mean, yeah. Russell Wilson's never missed a start due to injury. That's incredible. And so, and so to that point is if there's, and I love this, this is a take Matthew Barry had immediately after. Um, so uh, shout out to him. But um, if there's any person who can come back from this injury faster than the expected time frame, it's Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. uh, he's never been injured in, in, in this capacity in his career. And, and I don't expect him to uh, to be any less of a warrior, um, you know, outside of of the football field than than he already is. So I, I'd expect him back sooner than the the expected timetable that they're giving right now. So um, if you're a Seahawks fan, I wouldn't worry, uh, especially since you have <laughs> it, it that at the end of that window is the next Niners game. So you know, <laughs> he's going to be fired up and rear and go for that. So. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of this, you know, I'm. I'm more and more impressed with the Rams offense. And I know they didn't score a million points in this game. And I didn't put it, they scored 26 points, right? 26, 17 was the final, but it's, it's the way they're able to, to divvy the ball up. Right. I mean, Cooper, with Cup, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cooper cup is the main guy, right? You know, he's the one who's been getting all the, all the love. He's the one who's been, was leading the league in receiving yards and touchdowns and all these crazy stats with him and Matthew Stafford. And then Robert Woods comes across with a 12-catch, 150-yard day out of nowhere. And, mm -hmm. and Cooper Cup also has seven. Too. Yeah, and uh, Van Jefferson, who's caught a couple touchdowns. Tyler Higbee they've been using. Uh, and Deshaun Jackson caught another deep ball, one catch for 68 yards. And then in natural Deshaun Jackson fashion, kind of comes up a little slow, grabbing his hamstring at the end. He's good for one of those every year, right? Just a 60-yard oh, yeah. bomb that he comes up short. But there are some insane – uh, Deshaun Jackson stats out there, which is 
I, I believe in his career, he's caught 33 passes of 60 yards or more. And like the next closest one is in the twenties, like the low twenties, like it, it, the numbers are, are really staggering with him. He's, there's an argument to be made that in just pure deep threat and nothing else, Deshaun Jackson might be the greatest of all time. Like the numbers argue that now, obviously, you know, injuries and everything have, have kind of held him up, but that dude knows how to get open deep as well as anybody. And the fact that he still has the burners he does after being drafted in 2008, uh, it, it's, it says a lot about the guy. Um, so yeah, this offense is moving the ball, but, I also want to shout out the running game of the Rams because, you know, they're not running it a ton, you know, 28 carries between um, 28 carries for a buck 19 between Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle. But it seems like every time they need, they need to run it. They're able to successfully, particularly in the red zone, which just, and I don't know if it's, Hey, we got to respect Matthew Stafford more because he's such a lethal passer that, Hey, even though we're going to throw the ball, you know, 20 to 25 to 40 times a game somewhere in that you know area we're going to be able to run the ball on you too and they actually ran the ball more in this game 29 carries compared to only 25 passing attempts but that you know they, they made the most of their situations and the rams are only going to get better and better um all right the sunday not for the thursday night game that's five days ago we had the london game the the jets falcons bowl um you know, I was up watching. I woke up and turned on the TV and laid in bed and watched that on the uh, <laughs> had myself a little coffee because I'm like Ted Lasso. I will not drink tea. Uh, so I, Dustin you know, brown water. yeah, it basically <laughs> is, man. So I, I had my my uh, my hot bean water, as my sister calls black coffee, because I, I like black coffee. And I watched the Jets and Falcons. And, you know, you called this last week, Scotty, when we were t- talking about it on Friday's show. Kyle Pitts had a huge day and where I thought, Hey, you know what? And again, I'm an idiot for picking the jets who in their right mind would ever pick the jets. Uh, <laughs> but this guy did, you know, the, the jets, I thought we're going to be like, Hey, we're not worried. There's no Russell gauge. There's no Calvin Ridley, you know, and it's basically stopping Cordell Patterson and uh, Kyle Pitts, but Kyle Pitts really hadn't shown a lot, and he had himself a day, man. Nine catches, 119 yards. He had the nice touchdown as well. This is a little bit more of what we were expecting to see out of the guy. First-round pick, drafted number four overall, first non-quarterback taken this year, and taken ahead of Jamar Chase, taken ahead of Devontae Smith, taken ahead of uh, Jalen Waddle. You know, these other guys who've had pretty decent starts to their career – and we finally see, oh, yeah, this is why. This athletic freak is why he was drafted where he was drafted. So, but that then begs the question for me is, is, is it the offense that he's part of? Does he need to be the guy in the offense? Or in the, in the example of, of Jamar Chase, he still continued to thrive mm. with two other good wide receivers and a decent tight end uh, and a good running game out of the backfield. Um, so does Kyle Pitts need to be the guy or can he be a guy in an offense and be an option uh, instead of, you know, getting, getting his, his share without Calvin Ridley, without uh, Russell Gage, even in that offense. That's, and, a, uh, that's a really good question. Um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll say this in college, he, it wasn't a problem. Yes. He was the number one guy, but Kadarius Tony who had 180 yards this week, and we'll get to that game in a little bit. 
you know, Kadarius Tony was his teammate at Florida, you know, so he's, he's was the number one guy there, but Kadarius Tony also, you know, was a thousand yard receiver was a big part of that running game for Florida as well. So I don't think he necessarily has to be the guy. I think the hardest transition, and we mentioned this on Friday show as part of my reason for picking the jets or at least talking about why Kyle Pitts has slow stories. I just think tight end behind quarterback is the hardest position to adapt from college to the NFL because you're being asked to sometimes block or chip block, even Joey Bosa or miles Garrett, or, you know, a blitzing linebacker, you know, you're asked to block these guys one-on-one sometimes, you know, I, we've seen it all season with tight ends who, and you see it every year with tight ends who have to, and it's a mistake to do that unless you have a really, really good blocking tight end. But in Kyle Pitts's case, he didn't have to do any of that in college. And the Falcons aren't asking him to do a ton of it, but they are asking him to do some of it. So, yeah, and then on the other side of it is you have to learn all of your route concepts just like you are a wide receiver. You know, you have to understand the offense like a wide receiver and an offensive lineman. And typically the only other position that has to do that is quarterback. So part of it's going to be the, you know, the development over time. And I think playing the Jets was a big way to help him burst out. But there's no question, man, like without Calvin Ridley there, I mean, yeah, there's Cordell Patterson, but he was very clearly the number one option in the passing game. So I good, good question, Scott. I like I like the the big J question coming out of Scotty. That's good. Um, From the one o'clock window, there was a bunch of really wild games. Uh, Lions, Vikings was wild. Uh, The Eagles and Panthers was wild. Uh, Pats, Texans was wild. But nothing was crazier than Green Bay and Cincinnati. We had our first push on the year with our picks because the Bengals were a three-point underdog and they they exactly tied the line. The Packers won an overtime field goal. Mason Crosby makes three field goals in this game, misses three, and then, oh, yeah, hits the game winner after missing three in a row. And a couple of ones that were like chip shots, you know, like a couple of ones that were like 30 yards out that he definitely should have made. Coming out of this game, I am blown away by the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, luckily, you know, Joe Burrow had to go to the hospital after this game, after he had gotten shaken up, looked like he might have gotten a concussion at one point. Uh, he had shaken up. He had a throat contusion. And he wasn't the only player in the NFL who had a throat contusion today. Jeremiah Usukoromoa also had to go to the hospital for a throat contusion, something I didn't know was even possible to the human body. And yet, on the same day... Yeah, on this, I, I can't even imagine. I've been, I've thought about it a lot over the last 24 hours about what even is a throat contusion. Like, is it your windpipe? Is it the actual tissue? Is something sticking into your neck? Like, is it swollen? I don't understand it at all. Luckily, both uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa and Joey Boa, Joey Burrow, are in good shape and uh, they were preliminary, you know. There were cautionary, you know, trips to the hospital, but I am blown away by this Bengals team, man. Jamar Chase is a monster. Uh, He was very close to having a second touchdown, another deep one, but that dude, or second on the day, he had one already. That was a deep Mm -hmm. shot. That was 71. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just, I mean, the the Packers are good. There's going to be a couple games, you know, Jair Alexander is on IR that got announced last week, right before the game. So that secondary is a little banged up. But 
I was really blown away here by what the Bengals put together. Their offensive line's playing well. Joe Mixon's playing well. Joe Burrow is playing really well. He looks more and more confident every week. And, you know, the Packers are they're going to be in some of these games, but I still think the Packers might be the best team in the NFC. So where are you standing right now? Are you as high on the Bengals as I am coming out of that game, which honestly could have gone either way, especially after Zach McPherson thought that they had won the game. You know, you, me and Vito were all on FaceTime together watching this, you know, the end of the one o'clock window because it was just mayhem. But are you as high on the Bengals after that loss as I am? Yeah, I, I legitimately think that they're the most complete team in that division. Um, the, the Browns are close, but I, I, I really think that the, the Bengals are really putting it together. Um, I think their offensive line is, is just what we thought they would be, is like a little shaky coming in. Um, Burrow gets sacked too much. He gets pressured too much and has to make decisions like what you saw in the, in the overtime period where uh, – and, and to that point, that's, that's a spot where you need to, to make a play and, and win the game, not give Aaron Rodgers the ball and Mason Crosby another chance to, to make another field goal um, after the turnover. But the, the defense is what really stands out to me with the Bengals. I thought after losing uh, everything they did in free agency uh, in the offseason that they would not even be near as, as stout of a defense as they are. And they're really stepping up to the challenge um, in all three phases. They're getting to the quarterback. They're, they're, they're great uh, run stuffers. They're, they're great in the middle tier uh, defending the pass. And then their, their secondary has also done a job against some really good uh, wide receivers. I mean, Devontae Adams is going to get his like he did in this game, no doubt. Uh, but but the, the way that they played against, against the Steelers um, – you know, and the Steelers have some big weapons. Uh, the Vikings as well, that was a close game, uh, and they have weapons. That was a week one game, and and the way they played against the Packers this week, and I think they're, they're really playing a, a great defensive game. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm as high on them as you. I think they're, they're legitimately the most complete and probably the best team in the AFC North right now. Wow, yeah. You, you think they're better than Cleveland? Yeah, I, I think they're more complete than Cleveland. Cleveland's got a lot of question marks on offense. Their running game is great. I, it's, I, I don't, I don't know, know if I'm who... ready. I'm not ready. I'm not sure if I'm ready to say they're better than Cleveland. I love the spiciness, man. That's that's a fire take. <laughs> I, I, and, and you know what? You're early on it, too. So if it ends up being true, then you're all over it. You know, we'll see these. We'll see those two teams play twice this year, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and after seeing the Chargers put up some points, though I, I think that's probably more of an aberration for that, you know, Cleveland defense than an actual, you know, consistency. I don't think they're going to be putting up 40 points, get 40 points put up against them a, a ton, but the Bengals defense was great. Um, you're right. That interception in overtime, you can't do that. And that, and that is Joe Burrow trying to do too much. You know, he's rolling out to his right. He threw across his body over the middle of the field and it looked like a little bit of miscommunication. The tight end broke one way. It looked like Joe Burrow thought he was going to break another on a little option route. And he threw it right to the linebacker. And the, that one, I, I don't even put on the offensive line as much. I think that one's on Joe Burrow. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt since, you know, he had a throat contusion. But, you know, going toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers takes a certain amount of confidence and moxie and all the stuff that we've always described about Joe Burrow and same thing with Jamar Chase going toe to toe against Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams had 11 catches for 206 yards and touchdown. 
But on the opposite side, Jamar Chase, six catches, 159 yards and a touchdown. You know, and again, if, if he's not called down on that other one, then he would have been well over 200 with two touchdowns. So, you know, it, it takes a, a lot to go toe-to-toe with a really good Packers team. And, you know, when they didn't sign Carl Lawson this year when he was a free agent, a lot of people thought, hey, what, what are they doing here? And they go out and they get Trey Hendrickson, who is was an a, a outside pass rusher for New Orleans. A lot of people thought, hey, he gets, you know, counter sacks basically because, you know, Cam Jordan's getting a double team on one side. He's just cleaning up the mess on the other. Well, it turns out that that dude can actually go out and ball, and he's been great for them this year. Really entertaining game. Uh, just freaking kickers, man. Just hit your hit your field goals. <laughs> now, in Zach McPherson's case, he was kicking like a 54-yard yard, uh, field goal as time expired, I'm pretty sure. Or know, was it that or was it in overtime? I don't even remember there were so many missed field goals. Um, five in total in this game. But, you know, he's already hit a couple game winners this year, so we'll give him the benefit of the, uh, of the doubt. A uh, couple other really good games here from 1 o'clock windows. Eagles, Panthers. I'm – I regret did it. I, I regret saying that it was a good game because it was not a good game by either team, but somebody had to win. It was a very <laughs> ugly game. The Eagles, look, the, I, the number one takeaway from this game is Jalen Hurts, the person, which I've been saying for months and months now, is an A-plus incredible human being, incredible leader. There are very few quarterbacks in the NFL that I would, I, I would put his leadership skills head up I, I genuinely believe that highly in him just as a person and the way that the guys believe in him but Nick Sirianni called an atrocious game today or on Sunday really really bad game by Nick Sirianni and I again I've said this before I try hard not to criticize play calling because there's so much we do not know from the outside and yes we've all schemed up fun stuff in Madden and we all think that we should oh why didn't you run it there right it's so easy to be the Monday morning quarterback but there were so many questionable decisions. And, you know, I think out of Jalen Hurts' first 12 pass attempts, only one of them went further than 10 yards down the field. And after what he showed you the week before in Kansas City, I was just blown away at the, the, the lack of willingness to run the ball, the lack of willingness to adjust, the lack of, lack of trust that they had in Jalen Hurts to be like, hey, go back and make decisions. Now, he missed a wide-open touchdown right before the half. That can't happen. I said last week he missed five of those in the Kansas City game. So that's six in total, and I haven't even been able to watch all of the film from this game. The Eagles are not a fixed team, and this is one of those, you know, we're going to hold on a little extra hope and see what happens this year. I think they're going to remain frisky because I think Jalen Hurts does that. His numbers continue to be really, really impressive for a guy who's only eight career starts into his career. and. More and more I buy into Jalen Hurts when you see stuff like the way that he ran that fourth quarter. But the defense of the Eagles is what won them this game. Inter- two interceptions by Darius Slay. The Secondary huge, in particular. Yeah. The huge interception by Steven Nelson after getting torched last week. Uh, to see him have a nice bounce-back game was, was really reassuring, especially against a pretty good set, uh, wide receiving core there in Carolina. But the lack of willingness, there's the undisciplined nature. The Eagles have had six touchdowns taken off the board because of penalties this year. They're by far the most penalized team in, in football. So the nice thing is that it does seem like people believe in Sirianni. It seems like the team believes in Sirianni. They're just not executing well. 
And all of that does reflect on Sirianni and the coaching staff. But nonetheless, a win is a win. And uh, on the opposite side here, no Christian McCaffrey. So I think if C-Mac's in this game, it's probably a totally different story. But Sam Darnold had a rough day. Yeah, but that was a credit to the, again, the, the secondary did such a great job of, of shutting down A, those three wide receivers, and B, like not giving any opportunities for Darnold to throw the ball. And when he did, it was three times it was the wrong read because uh, he had three interceptions in this game. He, j- he just didn't look good. And he, no. the only reason he had that many rushing yards is because he was forced to get out of the pocket and run. And that was the only thing that, that he could possibly do. Um, so it's, it's a credit. I think, I think you're right, Jeff. I think the Eagles defense won this game more than the, than their offense did for sure. And for that matter, a complete team effort. I just, I don't know what you do. Like if you're an Eagles fan, I got to be thinking that, like, what did you learn coming out of this game other than you're like, okay, we might be okay? I, I, I just don't know. Like, Hurts, to me, still looked like he had that – the decision problem that we talked about last week where he's I, – I can't tell you how many times I saw him miss a wide-open wide receiver and throw it elsewhere or not at all. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, and then on the, in the running game, we talked about it last week too, is Miles Sanders. Um, he hit a few holes, but there were some decisions, particularly in the fourth quarter when they're trying to milk clock and he just like bounced out of bounds. Yeah. You gotta Miles be Sanders ran out of bounds twice when they were trying to milk the clock twice. Yeah. He did that, which is, that's just unacceptable. Like that is number one, just like anyone who knows anything about football knows you have to stay in bounds during that point. Like why he thought, and, and things, too, where it's like, hey, the hole's not there. Get a yard. Make them burn a timeout. Like, that's all we're trying to do at that point in time. Now, to his credit, he extended a play and picked up a really big first down that they needed in order to do that. But they could have avoided that, you know, him needing to get that big 18-yard run, I think it was, if he had just stayed in bounds on the run before that. So there's some things there with the Eagles that I'm still not loving. As an yeah. Eagles fan, I can tell you, I think expectations, you know, the, the, the perfect is the enemy of the good, right? Like if you're, if you're looking at Jalen Hurts, you have to remember he's halfway through a, a one rookie season, basically eight games in. And in those eight games, he's in the top four ever for most total yards from a, from a quarterback in their first eight games. Um, you, you know, some of the numbers are, are really, really impressive. And we can't expect him to be a finished product. Same thing with Sirianni. You know, Sirianni is a first-time head coach, first-time play caller. We have to allow them to make mistakes. And anyone who knows me during an Eagles game, I'm not as willing to do that. But, in, you know, once I give myself time to kind of sit back and think about it, you know, we, we have to be patient at the end of the day. We, you just – we have to be. Yeah. And the fact that – and this is – we'll end this game on a good note. The fact that Jalen Hurts played as poorly as he did and they still won the game, never giving up hope when there were several opportunities for that team to have been able to just give up, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. It says a lot about Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. It says a lot about the leadership that he brings to the table, that the offense and, and the way that the offense looks at him as a young player with a lot of experienced guys there. And out of Jalen Hurts' eight career starts, he's had seven different offensive line combinations. And even in That's this game – you know, Landon Dickerson goes down with an injury. So there needs to be some understanding 
Sirianni's had four different offensive linemen uh, combinations in five of his games. So there, there just needs to be some patience here. And I know asking Philly fans to be patient, myself included, <laughs> is a tireless and thankless job. But that is yeah. what I would say to Eagles fans is be patient. Let's look at the good. Did they deserve to win that game? No, not really. But did they pull it but off? They did. They did. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell Eagles fans to get excited about, uh, get excited about Devonte Smith. Cause he's a real oh, deal. Yeah. I love, I, him and Darius Slay yesterday were though. He, he did have one really tough fumble, which was a great play by the defense. Um, but he had one fumble after a big catch, which, which hurt them when they started to look like they were getting some momentum and feed Quez Watkins. Holy crap, man. He's tied for the lead this year in the NFL with Henry Ruggs for yards per catch at 20.5 yards per catch. That dude is as good of a deep threat as there is in the NFL right now. And he and Hertz have real chemistry. Just stop using him on these dumb little bubble screens because they just, you can't bubble screen teams to death. All right. Uh, The other really good game in that one o'clock window we had was the Lions and the Vikings. Lions still searching for that first win. They march down the field. They leave, like, what, about 40 seconds left on the clock. They score the touchdown. They go for the two-point conversion to go up one. They get the two-point conversion, and then the Vikings, in a matter of four plays, get up down, get up to the, uh, you know, like the, the 40 or 35-yard line, kick a long field goal. Greg Joseph walks it off for the Vikings, uh, 54-yarder. And uh, it, it was an exciting finish to a game that wasn't particularly exciting up until that point. No, and it's exactly what I expected it to be was an NFC North slugfest. It's just a couple yeah. of old-fashioned teams going old-fashioned at each other, and that's what it was. I mean, the Minnesota defense is getting better and better each week. And Patrick Peterson had an unbelievable game <clears throat> for his age too. But um, that that offense – somehow some way finds a way to get the job done at the end of every week. I don't know how Kirk cousins is doing this because frankly, I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. Um, And then without Dalvin cook in there, you know, Alexander Madison looked just as as good as as Dalvin cook is in any week. And and we saw that the, uh, the previous, well, two weeks ago, I guess when Dalvin was out um, in full. So, They've got weapons on offense, and if the defense can find a way to put it together, and they've been getting at the quarterback more and more each each of the last two weeks, um, and and against the Lions too, which is no slouch of an offensive line, by the way. I know the Lions are bad, but that's that's a pretty solid offensive line. Golf hasn't gotten sacked nearly as much as most quarterbacks um, in in the season. So, I, I, look, they put it all together against a, a less than average team. But at the same time, the Vikings have a really good case, and they're a couple of plays away from being three and two or four and one or five and oh, even. Yeah. Um, The the Vikings are the ultimate, like, pull pull a random card out of the deck every single week. Like, you just, there is no consistency to them. They could beat anybody, and I wouldn't be surprised, and they could lose to anybody. I wouldn't like if the Vikings go up against the Cardinals or they go up against the Rams or go Packers. up against anybody, the Packers, I have, I would not be shocked if they win. Even Tampa Bay, like I genuinely would not be surprised if they found ways to do that. But if you told me they lost to the Lions this week or if that they lost to the Jags or if they lost to, 
you know, the Dolphins, I would would have just as less shock. You know what I mean? Like they are such a Jekyll and Hyde either side. I'm just I'm never, ever surprised by what the Vikings do because they, for whatever reason, seem to play exactly to where their competition is. And I don't know if that's a Mike Zimmer thing. I don't know if that's a Kirk Cousins thing. But if you look at the talent on the offense, the offensive line isn't great, but they've been playing decent this year. The defensive line has been really good this year. The secondary had a good game this week. You just never know what you're going to get from the Vikings. You know, it's the ultimate Forrest Gump box of chocolates. Like, you know, that is what the Minnesota Vikings are. They are Forrest Gump's box of chocolates because you never know what you're going to get when you watch them every single Sunday. But, hey, like we said before, a win is a win. They have a knack for winning these these close games lately after dropping a couple of them early. So we'll see what the Vikings do uh, moving forward. The last of the uh, – well, Patriots-Texans was a weird game. That was that was a game that shouldn't have happened. Um, Davis Mills, a really impressive performance from the kid. I even flipped it on one of the TVs at one point just because I was curious. I was like, I, I can't believe that the Patriots are losing – by two scores to Davis Mills and the freaking uh, Houston Texans. And he was good in the red zone. He was good on drives. He was, and, I mean, what was the, the stat you texted us? Is like, you were like, is Davis, did Davis Mills really just lead the Texans on a 10 play, 10 minute oh, drive? You no, know? It, was a, it was the first drive of the game. It was yeah. 18 plays. In 18 plays and 10 minute drive to open up the game yeah, against the New England Patriots. Yeah. And it ends in a touchdown. Yeah. I, I, He's one of only two rookie quarterbacks, and I, I stole this stat from someone I saw online. He's one of two rookie quarterbacks to have three touchdown passes against the New England Patriots in a game, and it's him and Russell Wilson. I, I just after – what, after what we saw from the first two games of Davis Mills, I don't know, yeah. man. Maybe maybe there's some juice to this kid that, you know, we, we weren't expecting because he, he played really well. He played really well. And credit to the Patriots and Mac Jones for fighting back. It was ugly, but they, they found a way to do it. It was just a bizarre, bizarre game. Yeah, a lot of it had to do with explosive plays, too. I think the Patriots gave up two, at least two touchdowns in the first half that were over 40-yard touchdowns. Yeah, um, the flea flicker was so- great. The flea flicker. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Did you see like the extra second of hesitation from Mark Andrews or Mark uh, Ingram, where he really sold like it was a run play? He like did a little shimmy shake in the hole and then turned around and flipped it back. It totally the got move. them to yeah, totally got them to bite. I it was like the longest flea flicker I've ever seen, or the longest amount of time I've ever seen a running back hold on to a ball for a flea flicker. It was wild. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, explosive plays aside, that you know. A Bill Belichick defense is going to settle in, and yeah. and that's kind of what they did in the second half, and took a little bit more command, um, and that's why the game ended the way it did. I, I had no doubt that it would have been would have been a, a Patriots win anyway. I, the fact that it was as close, I think, is a testament again to those those big explosive plays. You yeah. got to limit those as as a defense, especially when you're um, in a division that I think is you know a, a one horse race, but you're a team that is good enough, I think, to be competitive for one of those wild card spots. So, well, and what um, the it's amazing to see what the Patriots did last Sunday compared to what they did this Sunday, right? Like, how how did they hold that Tampa Bay offense to what was it, 23 points, whatever, the, whatever they finished mm-hmm. with, to then 19, 19, 19. um, to then now 
you know, giving up three more points against the Texans. You know, like it's just it's it's the nature of the NFL, right? And it's all the cliches like they get paid to play football too and all that shit. But it it was an impressive win, man. Or you know, for the Pats to hold on and come back and win was was big. But you know, the Texans they had this game for a good chunk of time. But Matthew Judon, that dude just started tearing the world up. Oh, and yeah, and and what a what a perfect fit for Matthew Judon leaves the the Ravens goes to new England and he has just been a godsend for that team. And he is, he's a monster on that D line, probably the best like pure talent on the D line. The Pats have had since Chandler Jones, because they've been kind of piecemealing guys together. The Chris longs of the world, guys like that um, to, to come in and, and, and be their, their front. And Matthew Judon's coming and be like, Hey, I might lead the league at sacks this year. If you don't watch out, he's had, I think he's at six and a half sacks. Right now, he's he's been phenomenal. Uh, Steelers Broncos, um, a game that we didn't see a whole lot of on red zone. Big Ben and the Steelers score big early. It was a pretty impressive showing for Big Ben. It's it was nice to see that the Steelers are not going to be complete pushovers this year. But you know, this is again like kind of like the Eagles man. Like this is one of those where you're going to kind of hang on, and fans are going to hang on. And be like, yeah, but remember we beat the Bills. And we beat the really good Broncos defense. Like, there's still going to be enough. Uh, Big Ben, I swear, every hit he takes, I'm just like, uh, he's dead. Like, like Big Ben's not standing up after that because he. And then every, and of course he does the theatrical Big Ben. Oh my shoulder, grabs oh, my elbow, hit. you know. But just this retire. year, but in the past, I didn't believe him because he was so big and thick and strong. Like you, you didn't think he was actually hurt. Now I'm like, I feel like you got like you're playing pickup with like your dad, but you're like, it's like your dad playing with like you and your high school age cousins. And you're like, what your dad gets like, a sh-, you know what I mean? Like I li- I really feel like he's getting the shit kicked out. And it's, it's kind of concerning for his health. I don't think this win means much either way. Um, you know, the, we, we talked about the Broncos having those three wins against three teams that hadn't won through the first three weeks of the season. And now back-to-back weeks, they play the Ravens. And a pretty tight game, even though I think, you know, they got bullied for the most part. And then the Steelers, who, you know, again, credit Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, uh, that that line was even. And, you know, the Broncos, they fought back. They had a chance to uh, fourth down at the goal line, had a chance as time's expiring. They had ran out of timeouts. They needed a touching on two point conversion. Couldn't get it done. But that game was a that game was pretty tight. It was a. Uh, probably a little closer than it looked, um, but the Steelers, you know, a couple of big plays, and that's all you really need when you're, you know, when you're playing a, a good defense and you have a good defense yourself. And the weird part for me was the the Broncos were in a position where they needed to be aggressive, but Teddy Bridgewater went back to old conservative Teddy Bridgewater, um, and it. And it was really late in the fourth quarter that that happened. Like he had been firing on all cylinders in the, in the beginning of the game. He had a big play late in, in the in the game to Cortland Sutton to to get the game close. And then they're on the drive late in the fourth quarter, and and I think they're within the ten yard line. And just an atrocious decision to throw the ball where he did. It was behind the receiver. It was not even like the the correct route that he threw to. And even then, the the receiver was not even near open on, yeah. in one on one man coverage. Uh, plus, to boot, uh, Teddy had space in front of him to run. I don't think he would have. 
I think it was a fourth down play. I don't think he would have scored the the touchdown on the fourth and goal, but um, but it would have been close. Um, and and I don't know. I just think the the defense is is always going to be there enough to keep you in ball games like that. But something has to to click on that offense and take you to the next level where you're where you're pushing the ball and making a little bit more of aggressive calls to to try to win games. Yeah, I mean they're they're kind of like Iowa. Right. I mean, th- th- that's not how they're going to win games. You know, they're not going to be able to win games by by chucking the ball all over, all over the yard. You'll get a couple of big, you know, 40, 50 yard plays with the wide receiver talent that you have. I think not having KJ Hamler there to, to truly take the top off the defense. So you can still use Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, you know, Jerry Judy over the middle. But you know, Jerry Judy's been really quiet this year. And for a guy yeah. that everyone was was swore was going to be one of the next great wide receivers. You know, he's been kind of disappointing, you know, after what we've seen from Justin Jefferson and Henry Ruggs has had a couple of big games, you know, for Jerry Judy to not be that guy that everyone was convinced he was going to be, you know, there it's, it's a bit concerning. I'm not going to lie, but that yeah. being said, he's still young and, and he's still relatively productive, but I think teams either are keying on him extra, but it, I don't think he's the best wide receiver in that, in that room right now. I think Cortland Sutton is, you know, and, and the running game, you know, I get when you're playing Pittsburgh, it's tough, but you know, you got two good running backs back there. Melvin Gordon's been good this year. And Javante Williams was, I think he had eight carries for like 70 yards. Like he was averaging yeah. almost 10 yards a carry, you know, you got to feed him the ball a little bit more. And, and I think like you said, the defense is going to keep them in games and you know, they take the shots when they're there, but that team's not built to win, you know, shootouts. The team's built to win. Yeah possession and defense and they went up against a team who had a better defense yesterday and what i don't understand Vito pointed this out during the game too <clears throat> is you run the ball well all day and then all of a sudden when you get to the runs out uh, the red zone you abandon the run uh when you get within the 10 you abandon the run and it and it's not even like your your running pass plays where you can go get Noah fans over a seam or or on some kind of drag route underneath mm-hmm. To, to find him in the end zone uh, or any one of your tight ends. You have three of them you can do that with in, in Denver. Um, no, they're spreading the ball out and trying to, to run fades and, and, and just sling the ball in the end zone with, with an empty backfield. And it doesn't make sense to me. I, well, I don't understand I, how. You- at the end of the game there, that you know, like I, I push back with some of the criticism on the play calling and the decision there on the fourth and goal. I mean, that's the last play of the game, you know, and he wasn't going to be able to run it in. Also, you have to consider his injury history. He's just got cleared out of the concussion protocol this week. You know, I, I, I was it a good throw? No. But was there any other option based off the way that the, the offensive line broke down? He had to go to his left. He only had one wide receiver out there. You know, I went back and rewatched that play and, and I don't really know what else he could have done. You know, was it a good throw? No. Is, was there a chance maybe he could have tried to throw it somewhere else? I guess. But it was either going to be, you know, an interception or an incomplete pass, or he was going to go get the shit kicked out of him by diving at the goal line. And, and frankly, I don't necessarily blame him there for making a bit of a business decision. Now, I will say if I was an Eagle, if I was a Broncos fan or if it was an Eagles quarterback who did that, I probably would feel maybe a little bit differently. But just trying to be objective, you know, and breaking down that film, like, I don't really think he had many other options. Now, in terms of throughout the game, abandoning the run around the red zone and stuff, I completely agree. You know, I I think once you cross that, you know, that midfield mark, if you're Denver, you need to stick and stay committed with the run. 
You know, I think they've been throwing it almost a little too much. And when you have two guys who can run the ball, like, you know, Melvin Gordon and, and Javante Williams, I think you got to try to feed them when it's there. Uh, but that's just my two cents on it. Um, the other three games here, the one o'clock window, none of which uh, the Saints Washington game was was kind of interesting. Washington going back and forth. What's crazy is this game really felt like it was decided with the Hail Mary at the end of the first half, which was an incredible throw. We also hit the mm. the Jameis Winston trifecta in the first quarter, which is a, a phrase I've now coined, which is an interception, a deep touchdown pass, and a fumble. And he had all three in the first quarter. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, you chalk up the, uh, the Hail Mary there as well. This is the first time we saw like a Jameis Winston type of game. You know, since he's been in New Orleans where he was just sitting back, he was throwing the ball a ton. And it was nice to see them get Alvin Kamara get involved, you know, and, and Taysom Hill goes out with a concussion. And I feel like the offense kind of changed weirdly enough. And it's like, hey, that's a guy playing quarterback for maybe 10 to 15 snaps a game. Uh, I can't believe you're going to the offense is going to feel that much different without the threat of him. But it really felt like they opened it up a little bit. They said, hey, go, go get him, Jameis. And, and he went after it. It was a, it was an impressive game, impressive win for the Saints. Yeah, I, I really love the way Marquez Callaway is playing. Um, and it was, uh, who's the other receiver that got hurt? Deontay Harris, is that yeah. who I'm thinking of? And he had um, the deep touchdown. He had the 72-yard touchdown in the first quarter. Yeah, but finally, finally, Alvin Kamara gets involved. Yeah. In both in both phases of the of the game, in the out of the backfield, uh, huge day running and, and passing. So, um, you know, one of those was in garbage time where the 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 Washington defense kind of gave up, but still, like, the, you have to honor that whenever you play the Saints, uh, just because he's the, Alvin Kamara is that good. Mm. Um, so, especially with a, a quarterback like Jameis, who is better at decision making, I think um, this year than than in years past. Um, you, you really have to honor it. And, and so for them to have kind of hold up the uh, or prop up the wide receiver room with the guys that they've, they've done with Michael Thomas uh, not being there. And then, and then Alvin Kamara getting more involved this week, that that's sort of the team that I expected when, uh, when I picked them in preseason to win 11, 12 games. Uh, in the, the defense in the, was great. I mean, and, and you hit it on the, on the head there, Scotty with Kamara. I mean, 16 carries, 71 and a touchdown, five catches, 51 and a touchdown, targeted eight times in the passing game. You know, that's the kind of – that's the version that we need to see of Alvin Kamara for this Saints offense to look as good as they did. Now, the Washington defense has been abysmal. And where we saw a really good performance from Tyler Henneke last week, this is the other side of the coin, right? 20 of 41, 248, and no touchdowns, two interceptions. Really rough day for him. Uh, Antonio Gibson found the end zone twice, but other than that, I mean, successfully, and, and I'll say this too, Marshawn Lattimore, after having an amazing rookie year and second year in the league, he tailed off for a couple of years. And now I think this is year number five for him. And he's the second highest graded cornerback, according to PFF. And when I say fell off, you know, he went from being like a top five cornerback to like in the top 15, 20 range. Like he was still a true, like number one cornerback. But he wasn't that level of elite that we had seen yeah. in his first couple of years. And it seems like he's kind of getting back to that now, which is such it helps that defense so much. Um, and, and look, Washington, on side, I mean, I mean, Terry McLaurin just got shut down by Marshawn Lattimore, just com just completely out of this game. And, and after Scary Terry had a huge week last week, they were able to quiet him down. 
Uh, the other two games here in the one o'clock window, the GOAT doing GOAT things. First game of his career with 400 yards plus passing and five touchdowns, which is pretty amazing when you think about all of the stuff he's done. He's had multiple games over 400, but it's been like four touchdowns. He's had multiple games with, you know, 350 passing yards and, and five touchdowns, but never the 400 and never the five touchdowns. And, uh, and Tom Brady was, uh, he was cooking, man. And the, and the Dolphins stink, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was not a, a, as much of a, of, of a surprise as the stat uh, that that's the first time Tom Brady's done, uh, thrown 405 touchdowns. Yeah. Uh-huh. But man, I, look, this, this offense is just starting to click. And what I think, opened up a lot of that was the the decision to run the ball more um and you're going to see leonard fournette more on the field because he's having such a, a good year running the ball but he's also a bigger threat out of the backfield to catch the ball this yeah. year than than tom brady's maybe ever had in in uh on the field with him say for james white who always ends up with like a screen pass for 100 yards in a game um, yeah but like but Leonard Fournette is really, really playing well this year. And that's kind of what they're, they're clicking around that offense and they can do this now. They can, they have the, the option based on the, the wealth of, of riches that they have to, to do this without Rob Gronkowski in the lineup for the last yeah. two weeks. That's what's like, crazy. Like that offense looks so good to start the year with Gronk in there. Now Gronk's been out two weeks and you know, their top three wide receivers all had over 70 yards. You know, Antonio Brown had the two touchdowns, a buck 24. Mike Evans yeah. had two touchdowns, a buck 13. And Chris Godwin had seven catches for 70 yards. I mean, like I, this team is ridiculous. And I had said on Friday show, you know, I thought this was going to be a big Leonard Fournette day. And, you know, it wasn't a huge like monster day, but he had a really good day. 12 carries for 67 in the touchdown. He also added, as you were pointing out, four catches for 43. And where he was looked at as a liability last year out of the backfield, it's clear that he has worked on being more of a pass catcher than, you know, before. I mean, he could always kind of do it in Jacksonville, but even last year, especially in the playoff run, there were a couple of times where, you know, they threw to him and he dropped it and it was kind of like him or Ronald Jones, like who's going to be the guy for them. And it really feels like Leonard Fournette has cemented himself. Like he is the number one, but it's going to be the number one of a backfield. You know, he's going to get, 65% 65% of the touches like he yeah, did one a <laughs> yeah. like he did today. Right. And then Giovanni Bernard, the element, you know, he is there, James, White, you know, Ronald Jones, he's still getting a decent little mix in there too, but Fournette has, has really found a comfortable home here. And I'll add this too. If Antonio Brown continues to be this good, which I felt like yesterday was the first time since he left Pittsburgh that I was like, that looked like Antonio Brown, like through all of the Vegas bullshit or Oakland, then to Vegas. And then the stuff last year and, and everything else. I just feel like that, that version, that 2017 version of Antonio Brown, who could just get open anytime he wanted and it, at will, I feel like I, I just hadn't seen the, you know, the killer bees version of him in a while. And now to see him doing that here in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, and they clearly have a good chemistry when you also have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, I mean, yeah, they're just rounding into shape right now. And uh, the NFC is loaded, man. The NFC is is loaded. I feel like the NFC is the better conference between the Rams, the Green Bay Packers, the Cowboys, the Bucks, Cardinals. the Cardinals, 
I mean, that's five teams right there with the combined like four losses. Like that, that's a scary group. To, and that's five of seven teams that can be making the playoffs. Good luck to anybody else who is, uh, who's going to be trying to, to sneak in, but damn, man, the, the, the bucks are loaded. Uh, the last game here from the one o'clock windows, uh, Tennessee Jacksonville seemed a little frisky early on, but then Derrick Henry just took over. I mean, he's on pace for like 2,100 yards, uh, three touchdowns yesterday, 130 yards. He is just on another planet. And I I've heard a lot of people say like, I is, are they riding him too early? Is he going to tire out? I don't think he is, man. I think he, he is built so differently. Even when he does get tackled, it doesn't look like it bothers him. Like he doesn't slow down. And I think finally, and he's just such an athletic freak. Like I just don't think getting hit affects him. It doesn't, but his offensive line, and this is what I've said all year is that they have, they have not played nearly as good as, uh, as that offensive line is talent wise. He had a touchdown yesterday uh, on Sunday that he didn't get touched. It was a 15 yard run in the end zone. He didn't get touched. It was up the gut. He's just nuts. He's He's, a monster. He's on a different level. He's an absolute (laughs) monster. He's at 640 yards this season. 640 yards, man. That's crazy. 142 attempts, averaging four and a half yards a carry. He's got seven touchdowns. He he might break the record this year. I mean, I mean, mean, he's with especially with the extra game. But right now, he's on pace for just about 2,100 yards. I mean, technically, it's like 2,060 yards. Uh, and 22 touchdowns. Oh, and by the way, he's also on pace to catch 45 balls for 400 yards, which, which is something is he's never of. done before. Yeah, yeah. I'm, wow. That's the other thing too is I, I've 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 noticed a lot this year that they're getting him more involved out of the backfield, and I don't know the, whether that's um, Rabel designing his offensive play calling by necessity of of the rest of the league changing, or um, or if that's something that. Derrick Henry legitimately wanted to work on and, and make himself a more viable, uh, you know, a more viable player and help out the offense as best he could. Um, yeah. Perhaps both. Probably I, I a little know. bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think this too, working. Scott, I think Vrabel's committed, you know, they, I think he's got three years left on his current deal. I know they signed him to an extension. I think last, not this past off season, I think the off season before it was like a four year deal. So I think he's got three to four years left. And I think they're just saying, look, we're just going to ride him, dude. Like we are just going to absolutely ride him, not necessarily burn him out. But if you have Derrick Henry on your team, similar to Lamar Jackson, you will be in every game that you play, especially come postseason. Like with Lamar Jackson, and especially if Julio and A.J. Brown get healthy by the end of the year, I know the Titans have looked bad. I know their defense stinks. Like I'm not blind to all that. But if you have Derrick Henry, I just he is one of those players that I think keeps you in every single game. Um, and they're for, doing this too without without you know utilizing any of the pass game. They yeah. they've had zero pass game in the last two weeks. AJ Brown came back this week, but the last two weeks they've had only one of or the last three weeks they've only had one of AJ Brown or Julio Jones out on the field. And last in, week they didn't have those weeks. Last, last week, week they didn't, they didn't have, either. have either. So yeah, so it'll, it's been the Derrick Henry show. It'll be interesting. Uh, Bears Raiders. Mm, kind of two things, I guess, to hit on here as we can kind of mo- you know power through here because I want to get to some of the other craziness, the college football stuff and the fights and the playoffs and everything else. Um, 
The Raiders, I mean, John Gruden had a week, um, to say the least, with uh, the email that got released that he had said some horrific shit about Damar Smith. Um, And that aside, you know, I said this after, you know, week three, when the Raiders are three and all, I said, I will not be surprised if there are a 500 or below team this year. In fact, I was pretty confident in that because the Raiders have done this now three years in a row, but they come out to an awesome start. And then the wheels just come off inexplicably. And yes, two of their big wins also came in overtime. Like, I don't think that can be overlooked. So they easily could have been one and two are standing right now, one and four, but losing to the bears. And I get Justin Fields played pretty well. And that's kind of the other side of this was, Hey, Justin Fields first career throwing touchdown, but they just ran the ball. Like Chicago just ran the ball down the throats of, of Vegas and said, stop it. You, you can't. And then a couple of play action plays, a couple of bootlegs for Justin Fields, let him run a little bit. Or when the offensive line broke down, cause they have 85 year old J- Jason Peters playing left tackle. He's able to scramble and go pick up a first down. But overall, the Raiders, I just I don't think are a good football team. I don't think no. they're a good football team. And I didn't buy into the hype everyone had two weeks ago. And I sure as hell am not going to buy them as a competitive team or as a Super Bowl and or even playoff team from this point moving forward. I told you, it's it, they're not a good team. And, and Derek Carr is not a good quarterback. That, those first few weeks were a fluke. Because look how many completions and targets he had to Darren Waller. And look how many Darren Waller's had since in the last three weeks. Um, it's, it's not a surprise. Like NFL teams and defenses, no matter how good or bad they are, are going to pick up on that. Uh, and if you, can't, if you can't read a defense well enough to throw to anyone else, including Henry Ruggs over the top uh, for a, a burn route like you, you usually do, um, or Brian Edwards or, or whoever you're, you're trying to throw to you're, you're screwed and they have no run game. I don't think Kenyon Drake is a viable option at all uh, because they haven't used him. Not because uh, I don't think he's good, but they keep trying to ride Josh Jacobs and see like if he can produce any magic and, and it hasn't worked at all. Mm-hmm. And granted the, the bears defense played a really solid game. Yeah. Against, they played a great game. Against the, uh, the Raiders. Uh, and, and Roquan Smith was flying all over the field. And that was the first time I've seen that all year long. So Khalil Mack um, got a little bit of revenge. He had the sack <laughs> against uh, Derek Carr, which I'm sure felt yeah. good. The two of them are supposedly close. I'll, I'll add this before we move on to the next game. Two receivers on either side we've talked about in the past. One, Allen Robinson, where has he been this year? Because either he's getting double teamed on every single play or he's just not getting open. And again, I, I don't have the Bears all 22, so I can't sit down and see it all. But I need someone to give me an answer on that because he's had a bad year. I think he's got one touchdown so far. You know, he got only got targeted five times. And look, the Bears weren't trying to throw the law, and I get it. It's Matt Nagy's offense, and it's Andy Dalton for the most part of the year. And then it's now it's Justin Fields and everything else. But either they're not working to try to get him open or he's not getting open, but we need to see more of Allen Robinson, especially since he just got franchise tagged this year and is looking for a big payday. This is killing his value, even though mm-hmm. I think most people would look at him and say, yo, that dude can still ball. On the other side, I want to start a petition to get Hunter Renfro out 
of Las Vegas. We can do the same thing for Dar- Darren Waller for, for that matter as well. Cause yeah. I love both those guys, but Henry run great players, but Hunter Renfro and any other team, like he's just good. Like he's not even just gimmicky, you know, Oh, the guy from Clemson, West Welker. No, like he's just good. He is Julian Edelman. He is a really, what, uh, dude. really good player. <laughs> I was just about to say, put him in New England with Mac Jones, and you got Mac Jones, Julian Edelman type. That'd player. be fun. Which, of course, <laughs> like that's the joke, right? Like, oh, small white wide receiver. Let's send him to New England. But you could put him on any team, and I think he'd be good. So let's just just get him out of Vegas, man. They they don't they throw to him a lot, but he's also open a lot. I just want to see him on a better team than Las Vegas. I just don't want to see it anymore. Um, Giants, Cowboys, Saquon hurt again. Danny Dimes got lit up on that goal line run. Oh, Did you see him wobbling? Gnarly. Yeah, that, that was, was scary, scary, man. That's that's scary. We, that's 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 the kind of stuff in football where, like, when you watch the play live, you're like, oh yeah, it was kind of a hard hit. But like, we don't even just we don't even can't even comprehend how ridiculously dangerous football is sometimes. That that one was scary. Um, the Cowboys' offense, I just I don't know what you do, man. I don't know how you stop them. I would love, you know, I think what we saw was the Chargers, you know, damn near beat them in that game, arguably should have. Um, and they're doing this without Gallup, too. You know, Jarwin's become a really good receiving tight end. Tony Holtz Pollard. Too. You know, they're like putting Tony Pollard on ice in a lot of ways, where he went from getting a ton of t- touches early on to now they're like, we're going to save you for down the road because Zeke's kind of hitting his his stride right now. And Dak, it was the one-year anniversary of him and and his leg injury. Uh, which I also believe was in Dallas and against the Giants mm-hmm. last year. It was so yes. same place, same time. And he even admitted he was he was kind of like in a mental fog when that game started because he opened with an interception. He fumbled the ball, uh, so it wasn't despite the forty four points. It wasn't the best day we've ever seen from Dak. But once he settled in, he settled in nicely. And, and the Cowboys are, you know, they're right up there with with the, with the Bucks, with Green Bay. Like the Cowboys are for real, man. Cowboys are for real it's scary to yeah see. yeah and you're right i don't know how you stop them i really don't because you go man they're gonna beat you one way or the other they go man you're gonna run with zeke or run with dak uh you go too high safety and we saw this in the eagles game you yeah. go too too high safety and even if you try to disguise the coverage they got four guys that can beat you Two well, over the middle and two deep. So I, I don't know what you do. We saw Brandon Staley take a crack at him and held him to 14 points. Did a pretty damn good job. And Dallas is heading up to Foxborough next week. That will be interesting. He they yeah. they snuck by the Chargers and Brandon Staley, the young defensive guru everyone loves. Well, now they gotta go up against the GOAT, man. The best defensive mind, the best coach in NFL history. And let's see what he can do up against uh, that that Pats defense, who did a good job again. Did a really good job slowing down the the Bucks just a week ago. If anyone's going to figure out a way, you know, I trust Bill Belichick. Last two games from the four o'clock window, your card, uh, sorry, your Niners go down to the Cardinals. Not a whole lot to take away here. You know, the card, you know, the Niners fought. Niners defense played really, really well against a very high octane, powerful offense in the Cardinals. The D kept the minute and Trey Lance, you know, look, he, he's a rookie. He's, he's very 21. raw. <laughs> he needs time. This was a great learning opportunity. Saw some pretty good things. Um, you know, I, I think he's learning the speed and the size and the strength 
of the NFL is completely different than what you get at North Dakota state, you know, and, and that, especially on that goal line attempt where he's, you know, rounding the corner and kind of lowers his head and, and he got double teamed right there. Looked like, Oh, for sure. He's going to be able to punch his way in. And he got his stuff handed right back to him, man. He, he got rocked on that. Uh, yeah. But credit to the kid, man. Step up, came right back, was not afraid to go after it. They go down, score touchdown to keep this game close. I was almost in cover territory at one point. It was like a four-point game at one point, and I'm thinking like, man, are the Cardinals going to sneak in here and, and cover this game, or maybe it was a two-point game And because uh, the, the, the Cardinals were a five-point favorite. And I thought, man, maybe the Niners can do it. Uh, last, they could not. Cardinals go down, touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins. and uh, But look, man, a lot to be excited for when it comes to Trey Lance, I think. Oh, yeah, moving forward, no doubt. Like I said, he's he's 21. I, you know, I liked what I saw. Um, again, even with our 18th string running back in there, it's like <laughs> they're still moving the ball well uh, in the run game. They're doing a lot of different stuff. The hell, they had Debo Samuel on a design like run play out of the backfield, not a jet sweep. He was set up in the backfield like a running yeah. back, and and had a great run. So. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's going to get creative like that, uh, with, and he's going to use what he's got uh, to the best of his advantage. So get healthy. I mean, that defense is getting better and better each week. That secondary surprised me yesterday, I think. Um, they've been just horrendous and banged up and just not great. Um, but C.J. Mosley is emerging as, uh, as the number one cornerback, and I think he's the kind of guy we need uh, just as a veteran leader, um, if nothing else. Yeah. in that secondary so um we'll see uh, we'll see <laughs> yeah hey there's again a lot of stuff to to feel good about moving forward uh they the last game of the four o'clock window which might have been the best game of the day cleveland and la the chargers what a game this was man um i again i don't yeah. feel any worse <laughs> about either team's defense i think this is just one of those like you get caught up in the game you're able to run the ball. They're able to throw it, and you're just going back and forth and back and forth, and it's just quick offense. And and Baker looked awesome yesterday, uh, 23 of 32 for 305 and two touchdowns. It was the most comfortable I've seen him look this season, which I think is saying something going up against a good defense and the Chargers. Over 1,000 yards of total offense between both teams, so really high scoring. The, the, the Chubb-Hunt duo came to play. Uh, between the two of them, they ended up with, what's that, 222 yards of total offense uh, or of rushing yards, I should say. And Joku, the, the, the revival of David and Joku, he had a great day, including that one huge 70-yard touchdown run. Um, you know, Odell, two catches for 20 yards, man. They, it's amazing how they're able to move that offense without Odell or, or that Odell just isn't, you know, the guy that maybe we all thought he was. And then on the other side, you know, Justin Herbert, man, that dude, 398 and four touchdowns. Like, I, I, special. no interceptions. That special. dude is special. Now, I'll, I'll ask you this. So, quarterbacks under the age of 26. So, that includes Mahomes and Josh Allen. How many guys are you getting to before you pick Justin Herbert? Ooh. So, I mean, that's going to be like Lamar right all of uh you know joey burrow trevor lawrence you know all i think the other number one picks kyler like how many guys are you getting to right now i think it's i think it's really like one a one and one a 
between Kyler and Justin Herbert. I uh, see. I'd rather have Justin Herbert than Kyler. Well, uh, yeah, to, to I, me, there's the two, health. <laughs> to me, there's well, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, to, uh, to me, there's two guys, Mahomes and Josh Allen. But even still, I don't think the gap is that big. I know that sounds crazy, but I just, I really, like, I bought into, I bought all the Justin Herbert stock I could the first game he started when after Terod Taylor got his lung punctured by the freaking doctor. Like, I bought <laughs> all of the Justin Herbert stock I possibly could, and I've been hot, ripping and riding on this train as much as possible. I love that kid. I love watching yeah. him play football. I just – He's unbelievable, man. And he's so damn smart. He won the award his, his senior year at Oregon for the highest GPA of any, I don't know if I think it, I don't know if it was any athlete. It was definitely of any football player, but it might've been highest GPA of any athlete in D one sports. Like he literally won like, wow. a, like, like he had like a absolute like 4.0 college GPA and he was taking, I want to say he was pre like pre-med He's a bio major He's bio right bio. yeah yeah like that's freaking hard dude like yeah oh yeah and then i'm also the quarterback at oregon and i'm gonna get drafted 10th overall it's crazy man and i'd asked you and Vito like over the weekend i was like herbert or burrow because at this point you know i think it's clear you'd rather him over tua but in that draft class i think i think we've cemented it now man <laughs> I think we've I think we've cemented it. Like as much as I love Joe Burrow and I do, I just Justin Herbert, yeah. man, that dude's on another another level. And uh, no and that doubt. takes you us know, to you know, oh, go ahead. Crazy yeah. stat about this game though. Before we wrap up, let's do it. What is uh, it? There's a the record for teams with forty plus points and zero turnovers in the NFL all time. Four hundred and sixty three, one and zero, and that one loss came this weekend with the Browns. Scoring forty plus points and getting no turnovers, and they lost to the Chargers this weekend. You said four hundred and sixty three, four hundred and sixty three, one and zero. Oh. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I I did Crazy. hear I did hear that stat, but hearing it again, like, wow, four hundred and sixty three and zero oh going into this weekend. Yeah. But hey, if you're the Browns, that that should again, like yes, like, and it sucks that they didn't call the P, the DPI at the end of the game. But I also get why they didn't because it's a hail mary, and those are so weird to whether or not you call them or not. You know, I, I thought it was blatant enough, so I get that. You know, if you're the Browns right now, you're thinking, "Hey, we got screwed." But if you're the Browns walking away from that, man, I mean, there's the Chargers. Chargers could make a like a legit playoff run. Like the the Chargers could be anybody. I honestly believe could be anybody in the AFC. Mm. And they're obviously in the driver's seat in that division because of the team we have coming up next, which is the Sunday Buffalo night Bills game and the Kansas city chiefs. Now, not to, you know, toot my own horn. Cause I only do that. I, I allow myself like once per show to do this when I, when I nail something, but I said to you and Vito on Friday, I said, not only do the bills win this game, but the Bills win it by double digits. I absolutely middled that. I middled it like Mason Crosby's game-winning kick in overtime, not the three other ones that he missed before that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't hang your head on that one. Uh, but <laughs> you nailed it. I, just, just overwhelming the on both sides of the ball, really, for the Bills. Uh, they the are Bills humming, defense. Man. Wow, like I was like I thought the Bills defense was pretty good. 
you know, they are really good. And, and, and Greg and that was without Matt Milano too. Yeah. No, arguably their best defensive play. Well, Tredavious white on the outside. Um, and, uh, who's the, the, the linebacker too? 49. Um, uh, Tremont Ed- Edwards. Tremaine Edwards. Yeah. Tremaine Edwards. Thank you. I, I do this all the time where I, I see the face, I see the name and I just can't Tremaine Edwards. Uh, unbelievable game from him. That dude didn't realize how young he was for, for whatever reason, I thought he had been in the NFL longer, but this is only his third season. Uh, he is Tremaine Edmonds. Okay. That made more sense in my brain. But uh, A.J. Klein, who was their backup linebacker for Matt Milano, he comes in and has a great day. Gregory Russo, that guy is an athletic freak, and everyone kind of knew he was. But the track record of, you know, six foot seven DNs isn't particularly great. And there were some concerns about him after having only one really, really good year at Miami, then skipping all of last year during the COVID season, and then, and you know, declaring for the draft. And he was awesome. Ed Oliver has become everything as he was advertised. Remember when he was at Houston, people thought he was going to be, you know, top three pick. He falls to the middle of the first round and the Bills snag him. And that has been an absolute home run. The kid from uh, Iowa, A.G. Epinesa, he's been really great. I mean, they are just cycling through guys. Like every time they get fresh legs and they get young legs and hungry guys. And then you have the legend uh, who's been there forever, star Louis. I'm not even going to try to say his last name, but the, uh, the Samoan guy, uh, Tulu, <laughs> Loa Tule. I, I hate, I, I wish I had, me, man. <laughs> I wish I had the pronunciation guide up in front of me, but he was one of those Madden guys. who I always used to like, I always used to draft cause you kind of get him like in the, when you do like the uh, franchise mode and you would, you know, do a new draft for your team. I'd always kind of snag him. But again, another guy who he's not playing a huge percentage of snaps, but when he's coming in, He's making a difference, you know, and, and, and I said this a couple a uh, couple weeks ago that the Bills remind me a lot, minus, you know, Stephon Diggs and having like a true legit number one. They remind me a lot about the Eagles in, in 2017, man. The way that they're built, they have a great offensive line, not an amazing running back room, but they're productive in the running back room. And then, you know, you have a young quarterback who's just kind of back there slinging it. And defensively, the way they rotate through their D line, really good on the outside uh that defense is is playing lights out right now and to do that to kansas city at home and and chris collinsworth alluded to it in the broadcast and i I thought it was really interesting that you know when the when the bucks beat the chiefs in the super bowl a lot of people are saying oh is this going to be the blueprint of how you beat the chiefs right and that became kind of a joke among a lot of the people in nfl like oh yeah like there's a, we have the blueprint now, like uh, chiefs are gone, but if you have the personnel, like decent personnel, you can follow that roadmap that the bucks laid out, which is, Hey, we're just going to play two deep safety. We're not going to blitz you. We're just going to drop everybody into coverage. Make sure that Tyreek Hill doesn't get open. Make sure Travis Kelsey doesn't get open. And we're going to force you to try to run the ball on us, which you're not going to be able to do. And they're going to put Patrick Mahomes in uncomfortable situations because they can lock down the coverage so well by dropping so many people in the back that eventually the pressure is going to get there. All of those sacks last night were covered sacks. You know, there was only, they had two sacks, but all of the pressures, all the hurries, all that stuff came from coverage. It didn't come from guys just absolutely dominating their, their guys one-on-one up in the, in the line of scrimmage. 
So maybe the Bucks did kind of unlock a bit of a cheat code here. As to, Again, if you have a shutdown corner, which not every team has, and if you have a good pass rush with your front four, which not every team has, if you have those things, which is a handful of teams that do, and we saw the, you know, the Chargers do the same thing a couple of weeks ago when they beat them. You can, there, there's things to be made against this Kansas City Chiefs offense. It's really impressive. Yeah, it, it's weird because when you think about the Chiefs offense, you think about how unstoppable they were, you know. And yeah. even in, in parts of this year, you're like, what are the answers that we have? And we're saying a lot of these things about uh, teams like the Bucks and uh, and and so you know, and the Cowboys too. Um, but the teams have kind of figured that out. Right. And we do this a lot in, uh, in, in baseball and oftentimes in football too, is like, yeah, once you, once you get all of that, like design, you know, trickery and, and weird schemes and things that haven't been done before out of the way in the next two years, people, teams are going to start to figure that out because it's going to start to become more commonplace than it is like, an exception to uh, the the normal offense you're running, and and I think the Bills did just that in this game. And credit to the uh, the backup linebackers. I think it was uh, it was Matikavich who came in for Milano, did an absolute freaking job over the middle on uh, on Travis Kelsey. Yeah, uh, I mean to shut him down for less than seventy yards. Um, yeah. AJ Klein as and, uh, well. AJ Klein, yeah, Matikavich was was great. And Micah yeah, Hyde, just, I, you know, one of the most underrated safeties, I think, in football. Oh, yeah. But he had an interception, too. So, yeah, he had the pick six. And, and the interception by Gregor Russo was an unbelievable play where he tipped the ball up in the air. I mean, he had an interception and a sack in this game. He was all over the place. But what I will add is the Chiefs are still going to win 12, maybe even 13 games right now because there's only a handful of teams in football who have the personnel to be able to stop the Chiefs doing the blueprint that the Bucks show, right? It's, it's Tampa Bay. It's the Chargers. It, apparently, it's the Bills now as well. And there's probably a few other ones. I would probably have the Chiefs winning closer to 12 games right now because they've already lost three. But when you see them go up against an average defense like Philadelphia, which I would say Philly's defense is not like bottom five, but they're probably a little bit better than that, but maybe bottom third, you're going to see them light them up, for, you know, like, like they did last week and score 40 points. Like, they're still going to be able to do that, but for the teams that have the personnel to be able to handle it, you know, it's going to be there. And then on the other side, offensively, Josh Allen, unbelievable game from him. Uh, 15 of 26 for 315, three touchdowns. He also added the rushing touchdown. Uh, Dawson Knox, dude. Dawson Knox, three catches for 117 yards. I mean, that's amazing. That's no, no one on Buffalo had more than three catches. They didn't even have to throw the ball that much. They only threw it 15 times or 26 times. They only had 15 completions. You know, and that's and the run two weeks in a row that the running game for Buffalo has gotten going a little bit. Um, and we said last week it was because they were playing um, – who the hell were they playing the shutout? Houston. Houston, um, yeah. And I, for the second week in a row, and I, they, they've got the running game going. But I don't think that this Chiefs defense is any good at all. They allowed 8.1 per play in this game. So they might be the worst defense. They might be the worst defense in the NFL. Like honestly, they they are. And 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 the other thing, Chris, Chris Jones didn't play last night, which kills them. Right. Cause Chris Jones is one of the better defensive linemen in football. They got Frank Clark back, but that didn't really help much. How about this Scott, before we, uh, we take a break here, 
leading rusher for both teams, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Hmm. Now, one is because they ran Josh Allen a lot on design runs. Mahomes, that was nobody's open. They're dropping so many guys back. I'm going to scramble and pick up seven or eight yards, which he did a ton because the coverage was just so good on Buffalo's part. That was an ass whooping. And then there was a weird lightning and, and rain delay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a it was a kind of a letdown, but I will I will count the points on my end. Just making a little mental note. Yep, here's the scoreboard. Just gonna write it up right mm. there. Another point yeah. for me. Uh, call, calling the double digit win there. Hey, you crushed me in our picks this week. You crushed me. Picks for the week as we still have Baltimore tonight. All three of us are on Baltimore, but including college football, you and Vito both went 13, 7, and 1, and I went 10, 10, and 1. Don't we call had our, it a comeback. We did have our first push. Um, but hey, if uh, at worst, I'm going to finish at 500 on the year. At best, I'm now two games above 500. But I think you and you and Vito now, you guys are, uh, I think, going to be in the net positive after this week. Well, Vito's already. I mean, Vito's just been crushing these picks. Yeah. So we will see. All right, quick break. We're going to come back. Tackle college football. Fury Wilder three. MLB playoffs. That's all coming up after the break. What a weekend it was in college football. Now, Scotty, you've you've been a college football fan longer than I have. I didn't really grow up watching college football. I'd watch the big games, obviously watch the national championship and a lot of the bowl games and stuff growing up. But I never had a team, as we've documented on the pod in the past. But over the last probably seven or eight years, I've really gotten into college football and then obviously working in it for the last you know three and a half, I have been – completely locked into to everything college football i've had so many saturdays sitting on the couch watching college football for hours and i can honestly say and i'll you know i might even include the nfl in this that might have been the greatest day of football i've ever watched i mean everywhere you turned there was an unbelievable game and we had a top five matchup between your boys and iowa and we'll get there in a second because I want I want to get through the other stuff before I let you lament in in, uh, in what was a, a tough one to swallow there in Kinnick in Kinnick Stadium I should say. But there's some positives to take away from that. Actually, well, let's just do it now. Let's just let's just do it now. Let's get out of the way and then we'll talk about the rest of the the wild day in college football. So lead Penn it State, off with Penn State. How about that? I mean, look, I know I picked Iowa, but. I don't know. There was a part of me that was rooting for you. And I, I didn't want you to be you specifically, but then also Vito. I, I didn't either one of you guys to, to be, you know, banged up and, and sad about this. Cause it was, it was a tough game because the entire first half until Sean Clifford goes, gets, you know, knocked out of that game, Penn state was in control and it, and it really wasn't that close. Like it really felt like, man, Penn state's moving the ball at will. They're running the ball. Well, they're throwing the ball exceptionally well. John Dotson's getting open. Uh, your, your other two wide receivers are, are great, both of which have really high upside. And Parker Washington, yeah, yeah Parker, Parker I told Washington. You, watch out for him. He's yeah. gonna have a big year. He's and he was great, and the defense was playing great, you know. And, and they got up to that early lead, especially after you know Clifford threw that early interception on on the first play of of, uh, oh, God. of Penn State. But then you make an amazing goal line stand get the ball right back. You go down, you score a touchdown early. And now it's like, all right, what an answer from Penn state and Sean Clifford. Obviously the game did change once Clifford got out, but the defense still fought like hell. They were y'all were still so close to winning this game. 
On the positive side, there's still a lot to be optimistic about. Clifford comes back. We still don't know the extent or even what exactly he got injured with. You know, he was back on the sideline for the rest of the game, which is a good sign. As, as we were talking about when we were, took our break there, you know, he sent out kind of a cryptic Instagram message, you know, but he said he's looking forward to making more memories. You know, like he was a whole Dr. Seuss, you know, don't smile because it's over, you know, or don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened, kind of, kind of a feel to it. But he ended it with, you know, we, uh, you know, it's about the memories that you make, and I look forward to making more memories. Well, I hopefully that means he comes back. And if he does, you guys, your, your, your destiny is still in your own hands, you know. Sure you, is, yeah. You, and the Big Ten East right now has four teams in the top ten. The Big Ten has five teams in the top ten. First time that's ever happened in the history of the Big Ten. So your conference is doing great. And honestly, right now, Penn State, you know, they're they're far from out of it as we speak. Because I honestly think there's an argument to be made that they are the best team in the Big Ten right now, despite losing that game to Iowa. So as awful as I felt Saturday night, um, you know, after processing a little bit, uh, it, it has come to my attention as a rational human being that we, we are still in control of this thing, right? Somehow, some way Ohio state. And I, I know how, because everybody is in love with them. Ohio state has jumped us in the AP poll. Not that this is going to matter in a few weeks. Um, but I think it's because they've blown out the last three teams that they play in the big 10. Great. Good. Two of the, two of which were on the road. Great for them. Fantastic. Love that. Um, Michigan, same thing. They've they've played in a, cl- a couple of close games. I think that's why they haven't jumped further. Uh, they're sitting at nine, um, right? Isn't it like or eight? There we're six, seven, eight. Um, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Yeah. Um, and so and then Michigan State's ten. So here's the thing, right? We go into a bye week after getting getting a, a, a hard luck loss in in Iowa, uh, and this is the bigger picture. Uh, and then I'll dive into a little bit of game analysis after. The big picture is we still have to play Ohio State. We still have to play Michigan. We still have to play Michigan State, all of whom are in the top 10. I was, the rest of their schedule is cupcakes. You can just about put them in Indy right now. Um, so take care of business, do your job, win out, and go get I1 Indy. And now we're talking college football playoff again. That's 100%. the definition of a good loss. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's that's where we're at. There, I still have hope. Just go do your job every week and, and win out, and and you'll be right there. Now, as for the game, I love what the defense is doing. Absolutely love it. When Clifford came out, that was the the switch because Taquan Roberson, for as good as he is, an amazing recruit, amazing sign that we have look like a deer in the headlights against one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, there were times there was a series where I think it was, it was the first or second series. He was probably the first that we had four false starts in a row uh, because they couldn't get the snap count, right? Because they were running a different snap count than Clifford runs. So clean that up. And the noise. I mean, I, that stadium yeah, was going, fine. was going bananas. Just, yeah. Which is fine. Kinnick's a tough place to play always. Um, and so when it, when it gets to close games like that, it, that's when, and this is the, the miracle of college football is that's when those kind of games favor the home team because, because of the momentum that you get, mm-hmm. which is crazy. 
Um, and we've benefited from that ourselves a lot at, uh, at Beaver Stadium, it being the second largest stadium in the country. So it is what it is. Um, if Clifford's in there, I think we win that game with, without a doubt in my mind um, because hey, we were I, controlling that game on both sides of the ball all night long. 100%. 100%. And a ton of credit goes to Sean Clifford, who played a great game despite, again, that early interception. Uh, it was a, Look, it's a tough game, but I walk away from that game feeling better about Penn State with Sean Clifford than I did before and feeling worse about Iowa. You know, all it took was, hey, all of a sudden, Penn State's up, you know, two scores. And, and, and the entire feeling of the game shifted. And, and one it, big play in the second half from Iowa, that, uh-huh. that out the um, post route from the tight end, uh-huh. that, that set them up for a touchdown on the next play. And, now, the and rest of their it. schedule is, is definitely easy, but or easier. But I also, you know, it's big tennis, college football. I mean, they got to go uh, to Wisconsin. They got to end the season at Nebraska. Nebraska almost just beat, you know, uh, Michigan. And Scott, by the way, I don't, I don't know what the under is in that Iowa Wisconsin game, but I would take the under. Yeah, I mean, there <laughs> there are losable. I mean, Minnesota is a losable game. I think Northwestern's probably win. I think Minnesota's probably win. And you know what, Purdue, for as mediocre as they've looked, uh, especially since they they extended Jeff Brom, I will never after what we saw. And this is a great transition because after what we saw in the Texas A&M Alabama game, I will never, ever be shocked by an outcome in college football. And Iowa, yes, they're number two in the AP poll right now, but they were losing that game and they, they gotten beat through most of it. So transitioning now to the other two games, which is, again, it's crazy and it speaks to the weekend that it was Alabama, number one team in the country, goes down at the hands of Texas A&M, the Aggies, first Nick Saban assistant to ever beat Nick Saban as a head coach. How about that, Scotty? How about that? About time. That game <laughs> the was – popcorn ready. That game was crazy. <laughs> it was Texas A&M up early, and I was actually watching a different game, and I saw the score in the first quarter. And I went, oh, crap, i got to flip over. Alabama came out. They, I mean, at this point – Alabama's down 24 to 10 at halftime and Alabama does what they do. They come out and they score 28 points. But what was unbelievable to me was that Texas A&M at no point in that game, did they ever give up and say, Oh, Oh, well, Alabama's going to no. I mean, they forced turnovers. The offense continued to move the ball. Well, Zach Calzada, I mean, what an incredible day for a kid who's looked very, I mean, this team lost to Mississippi state last week. They lost to Arkansas the week before. And if they had just won one of those two games instead of both yeah, of them, a yeah. and is now a, a, probably a top five team. Because beating Alabama in, in the way that you did it, which was not gimmicky, it wasn't Johnny Manziel, it wasn't crazy bounces or crazy luck. Like, no, they just beat them in a hard-fought, awesome, amazing college football game. It was I mean, as midway good. through the third, it was, they were up 31-17. Like, it was an that's un- hard to do against Alabama. It was an unbelievable game. And Bryce Young, you know, played well, 369 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. But Zach Calzado went toe-to-toe with him. 285, three touchdowns, one interception. You know, and on top of that, too, AM wasn't even running the ball all that well. I mean, Brian Robinson Jr. had 147 yards, 
but they stopped them when they needed to stop them. They made big plays when they needed to make big plays. And I, uh, we found it the new, you know, we we've known about John Mechie for a while now, but we found the next, you know, true Alabama sick wide receiver in Jameson Williams. He had Mm -hmm. himself a day, 10 catches for 146 yards and two touchdowns. He exploded in the second half. But other than that, I thought what Texas A&M did, the fight that they showed to hang in there, that crowd was phenomenal. And then to win it on a field goal at the end, not miss the field goal. I I just, it was one of, again, it, it capped off what was an unbelievable day in college football. One of the best I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it was great. And, and it, you know, credit to, to Jimbo Fisher for putting together a game play. They got, they got beat in every statistical category team-wise that you could think of turnovers total yards first downs time of possession all of that and somehow some way they found a way to win uh the best game of the day though i think was in the early slate yes and i'm so glad that you went there the oklahoma texas the red river rivalry the red river showdown unreal honestly the best football game i've ever watched and if if the USC and Texas game back in the Rose Bowl and the Vince Young, Matt Liner, if that hadn't been for a national championship and that was just a regular season game, it's an amazing game. This game might have been actually better. I mean, Texas comes out absolutely dominating Oklahoma, 28 to 7 in the first after the first quarter. I mean, Casey Thompson throwing the ball over. They had to block the punt. Bijan Robinson with a Reggie Bush esque run late on a 50 yard run that he almost got into the end zone. And then on the other side, you get Spencer Rattler, who just looks confused and befuddled, no idea what he's seeing. And then they did the same thing in this game last year with Tanner Mordecai, where they benched Spencer Rattler for Tanner Mordecai, and they did the same thing here with Caleb Williams, who's a quarterback from the D.C. area. I actually watched Caleb Williams. He played at Gonzaga Prep, which is a, a, a local high school in D.C. I went to one of his games when he was there, and he was – as impressive of a high school athlete, arguably as impressive of an athlete as I've ever seen. He comes in on like a fourth and one from their own 45, I think it was. And he turns it into a 60 yard touchdown run, which was just an incredible run out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you're like, all right, you know, that gave some spark. And this was when it was 28 to seven. So this is like, all right, Oklahoma's kind of hanging around still. And then, the element that Caleb Williams brings, who's kind of a hybrid between Jalen Hurts and, and Baker Mayfield, when you think about Oklahoma quarterbacks, he's a much better thrower than Jalen was. But he's built very similarly, not quite as strong, not quite deadlifting, you know, 700 pounds or whatever it is that, you know, Jalen Hurts can do, not squatting a thousand pounds like Jalen Hurts can do, but pretty damn close. But he's more of the thrower like Baker Mayfield. And he came in and just lit it up. And now we got this back and forth battle going Kennedy Brooks. And this is why having a running quarterback at Oklahoma matters so much, especially when their offensive line's been as banged up as it is, is that Caleb Williams, the runner opened up what Kennedy Brooks can do. Who's had a very rough year this year. Kennedy Brooks goes for 25 carries for 217 yards and two touchdowns, including the game winner at the end. That doesn't happen with Spencer Rattler as a starting quarterback because Spencer Rattler is not a running threat. So having a quarterback who can threat threaten the defense with the run makes all the difference in the world. And then, of course, the, the, the play of the game was the Marvin Mims touchdown catch. 
the pylon cam caught it perfectly. If you haven't seen it, go look up the pylon cam clip. Because when I saw it, dude, I thought he was out of bounds. But having that camera right there on the line, one of the most incredible plays I've ever seen in college. Uh, Just an unbelievable day, unbelievable game. Again, well over 1,000 yards of offense and over 100 points scored in this game, 55-48. How about the uh, the the how do if you're Texas, how do you let the game winning play come down to that? How 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 do you not hold them? How does he break a forty yard run to win the game? I mean, I think it's just fatigue. Like you've done it all game long, and and at, that was the most critical point in the game. I've seen this so much from Penn State. You've you've held all game long, and all you need is one more play and one more play and one more play. And your defense is just burnt out to the, to the point where they can't make that play because they've been doing it all game long. And and that's the case of the offense just being one play better than the defense, which is a cliche coach speak, but like, that's, that's exactly what it was. You just sent this to me. Uh, from yeah, our, our, I called our the score by the from way, our group chat. We were texting when this game first happened. You, yeah, you, you said this is going to be another 55 to 48 game. Yeah. That was in the second quarter when they were going back and forth. (laughs) I might have to, we might have to send that out when we, uh, the screenshot of that out for when that's unbelievable. I remember you sending me that too. I didn't even think to go back and check. Damn. Um, yeah, I mean, that last play, man, they're, they're going down the field. Looks like Oklahoma's going to set up there. And I was hoping for a push here because I picked Texas to win this game. You guys both both picked OU, and Texas was a three-point underdog. So assuming that, hey, they stop them here, Oklahoma kicks a game-winning field goal, and, and you know, all right, it's a push. That would have been great for me. Instead, freaking Kennedy Brooks, which was a brilliantly designed play, by the way, where they ran a fake option to the right with Caleb Williams, but it was a direct snap. There was two running backs, one quarterback in the backfield, and Caleb Williams and the other running back go to their right to the far side of the field and pretend to run an option, and they ran to the weak side, and Kennedy Brooks somehow took that thing to the house, iced it off. It was an unbelievable game. I, uh, I might just go back and rewatch this game for fun because, wow, what a play. And uh, also want to give a shout-out to uh, is it Xavier Worthy, Xavier Worthy uh, the, the wide receiver from Texas. He had the crucial fumble on the kick return. But what a day from that young man, dude. Nine receptions, 261 yards, and two touchdowns. Actually, uh, more might have been the one who fumbled it there. Um, No, it was worthy. Okay, it was worthy. But, yeah, unbelievable game. And also, shout out to the kickers. Um, Dicker the kicker, one of the greatest names of all time (laughs) from uh, from Texas. He had an amazing day, as did the the, the kid from uh, Oklahoma. Some other games here worth noting. The Ole Miss-Arkansas game. Wow, that game was spectacular. Came all the way down to the final play, 52-51. Credit to Sam Pittman, man. Instead of taking the easy way out, instead of saying, hey, you know what, 52-51, let's kick this, let's go to overtime. He said, no, we're going to go win this game right now with the two-point conversion. After they were on the goal line, they basically had two plays. There was literally one second left on the clock. They scored the touchdown, K.J. Jefferson, with a great pass to the back of the end zone, and then they couldn't get it done on the two-point conversion. Ole Miss, I mean, Matt Corral. Uh, I, anyone who says that there aren't good quarterback prospects in this year's class, Matt Corral threw a 67 yard touch. Or it wasn't a touchdown. The guy caught it. He dove and landed right at the one. 
He threw it flat-footed. He threw it flat-footed 67 yards in the air. I don't care what anybody says. There are guys on Twitter who are Eagles guys who have been, you know, all the people who think, you know, Jalen Hurts isn't the answer, you know, they haven't been watching any college football this year. I was like, dude, excuse me. I'm like, dude, I've been watching college football all year, and there are multiple guys who have probably higher upside than Jalen Hurts, despite the fact that I like Jalen Hurts. Matt Corral's number one on my list. That dude should be the number one overall pick in the draft this next year. If if he's not, then I, I don't know, man. That that guy has just gotten better and better. I am so impressed with him. And uh, the Ole Miss Rebels came to play on Saturday. And and credit to Arkansas too, man. After getting shut out, you go out and put fifty one points up. I know Ole Miss's defense isn't great, but they're better than in years past. And this game was a was just absolute shootout in the SEC. Yeah. It's uh, classic SEC game of, among teams in that second tier. Uh, this seemed like a very uh, Ole Miss game, um, you know. And they've gotten into these battles with with Alabama uh, as well too. Ole Miss has so not surprised uh, that this came down to uh, to offense. And obviously, when we we've talked about it before, and Vito's favorite phrase on this podcast is when it comes down to a a close game. Uh, close big game that you, you want to favor the quarterback in that situation. And Matt Corral is just unbelievable. I don't think he's going to be the first overall pick because Kayvon Thibodeau is so good at Oregon. Mm. Uh, and it's probably the Jaguars that on the clock at number one and they don't need a quarterback. So good point. Uh, I think he'll, he's definitely the first quarterback overall. That's definitely that's taken. In yeah. Game. Maybe if Detroit somehow it doesn't end up, I mean, yeah, it's probably Detroit, gonna be Houston, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Matt Corral, Lord, I hope he doesn't, I don't, I, I don't want Matt Corral to go to any of those teams. Yeah. yeah right. you, you know, if Matt Campbell has, or if Dan Campbell has the first overall pick, he's taken, he's, he's taking cave on you know, he Oh, hundred percent without yeah. a doubt. <laughs> there's no, there's no way he's taking a court. He's like, yeah, I know Jared Goff, Jared Goff's fine. We want cave on Um, Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, other notable games here in college football, Michigan winning by a field goal, Nebraska, Shout out to Nebraska, man. They've been a laughing stock for a while. That yeah. Scott Frost, you know, after that week one or week zero loss to Illinois, you know, people are talking about, you know, him getting fired this year. People are talking about his horrific start. People are talking about Nebraska as, as a laughing stock. And, and look, they're three and four right now. And they damn near almost just beat them, you know, a, a top 11 team in the country in Michigan. And <laughs> well, arguably two weeks in a row. Yeah, two weeks yeah, in a row. Two weeks in a row. Michigan State was a close game, and then and then this was a, a three point game against a, a top ten team in Michigan. So, Adrian I, Martinez I is, is showing like, hey, you know what? This is the reason why people thought of me as a dark horse Heisman candidate a couple years yeah. ago. This is why yeah. people got so excited over about me when Scott Frost got here because I have this talent, I have the ability to 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 make big plays because he's such a good athlete. I, uh, I identify with Nebraska. I feel like my fantasy football team's a lot like them. They're playing well, but you just, you can't, for whatever reason of luck, you can't win a game. So I don't think that's a fair <laughs> comp, Scott, because they've won three games. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's more like the Jaguars. You're more like the Jaguars. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. You're, since the Jaguars started off 1-0 and last year, they've lost 20 straight games. Yeesh. And they, they sent out a tweet that was like uh, – won't stop after just one win or something afterwards. And they literally have not won a game since then. It's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, uh, yeah, Nebraska, the, the Nebraska team is playing really well. And I yeah, think and they're, they're going to find a way here. Michigan is a good football team. 
This yeah. is not Michigan. Like this is, this is the Michigan we're kind of used to seeing, but it's different, right? Like there, there's a connectedness in there. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan somehow beats Ohio state this year. Like if this is the year that it happens, because Michigan knows who they are. They're very good defensively, even though Nebraska definitely exploited some things and, and credit to them. But Michigan is a very good football team and they know who they are. They like to run the ball. And uh, Cade McNamara is a pretty good player, man. He's thrown a couple of really imp- impressive passes this year, a couple of touchdowns that have really been eye-opening. I'm like, damn, you know what? He's, he's not a bad player. So the Wolverines are a good squad. Don't, don't be sleeping on them. Uh, we had number 10 BYU dropping. To Boise State, just because Brian yeah, Harson's gone, just because Chris Peterson's gone, Boise State still finds a way to win big games. Uh, BYU was kind of up in that conversation with Cincinnati, who, by the way, Cincinnati up to number three in the country right now. Let's go Bearcats. Highest AP ranking for a group of five team in a very long time. I don't think it's ever. I think one of those Houston teams back uh, in, in like the mid-2000s. Uh, or like the late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, like I think some of those teams were ranked up there as well. I mean, so not the highest ever, but for Cincinnati, I mean, being ranked that high is a humongous deal. Absolutely huge. We'll see where they get ranked in that first college football playoff ranking, which will come out here in the next uh, next few weeks, actually. Um, but yeah, BYU drops. They were kind of in that conversation with like, hey, if they go undefeated, their schedule might actually be better. Their resume might actually be better than Cincinnati's. Well, that conversation doesn't matter anymore because BYU lost. They would have had to go on undefeated. And uh, weird game, but Hank Brockmeyer. Hank Brockmeyer. What a, what a guy, man. Uh, quarterback for BYU. He's an absolute gunslinger. I, I, I love that dude. He's the classic just college football gunslinger. And uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. Notre Dame hangs on by a game-winning field goal to beat Virginia Tech. They had no business winning that game, but the injury to Virginia Tech's quarterback uh, kind of slowed them down. Another really, really entertaining game. The Irish, not not likely to make a run for the playoff. I just don't think they have it on their schedule right now. But a big win for them. Jack Cohn comes in for the injured. Uh, uh, what the hell's the uh, the quarterback's name for them? The guy who ended up getting hurt there. Uh, oh, that's right. No, they didn't even start him because he was hurt. Yeah, it's this other kid, Tyler Buckner. Buckner, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't even in the conversation, but then Jack Cohn comes in and saves the day at the end and uh, and leads him to the win. I for, I don't know how you can tell me that they're the 12th best team in the country. I, that's a joke to me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree. I you know, but who's Here's the thing, Scott. Who should be ranked higher? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. You know, Kentucky, I think, is a better team. They're ranked ahead. Wake Forest is probably an argument. But, I mean, like, if you look at the list, and this is one of those, I mean, Florida's probably a better team. They're ranked below them. But when, when people complain about the top 25 polls, and this is a Ryan Rosillo thing, and, and I remember him saying that one time when I tried it, rank it. Like, do it. Sit down and come up with a top 25 ranking. It's way harder than people think. Yeah, it's it's kind of like our pick, like us doing the picks all year. And we're like all around that 500 or better kind of mark, which is, hey, that's pretty good. It means we're, we're actually above average. But if you ask most people to pick every NFL game and five to six college football games every single week, the average person who doesn't obsess over this shit like we do would not do nearly, you know, as, as well as, you know, a guy like Stanford Steve, who averages like 60 percent on his picks over a given year. And that is because that's 
It's really freaking hard. So if you look down the list, I mean, probably Florida. Florida's probably the only real, um, the only real like complaint, maybe. Yeah, that is a huge um, drop off. Now that I look at it. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, so so let's see here. Where's the AP poll at right now? I think after 10, it's... It's Well, they have Notre Dame at 14, right? So Coastal Carolina, they better than Notre Dame? No. Wake Forest? No. Arkansas? Probably, but they have lost two games. Arizona State? Arizona State, I think, is. I would say, I think think they're a little bit better than Notre Dame, but probably not by much. Um, A&M? After that, yeah. I mean, A&M just beat... You know, Alabama, but at the same time, they lost to Mississippi State last week. So do I think they're a better overall team than Notre Dame? Not necessarily. NC State, SMU, San Diego State, Texas. You know, I, I think they're all kind of in that ballpark. So I, not that I love Notre Dame, but, uh, you know, they've won, the, they've won the games that are in front of them. At the end of the day, you know, you do have to kind of reward that to some degree. Um any other big college football games I'm missing from the weekend? Georgia stomps Auburn. Uh, Kentucky beats LSU by 21. Uh, Coach O's on the hot seat big time. <laughs> Wake Forest wins in a overtime. Uh, it wins in overtime on a touchdown against uh, Syracuse. That game was awesome. Florida with a big win. SMU so. with a big win. Shout out to Grant uh, Calcaterra. Out yeah. there, tight end at SMU. Friend so of the program. We're, we're rooting for them. We're we rooting are, for the Mustangs. We are pro SMU pod, except for when they play Cincinnati, in which case I, I'm I'm addicted to being the heel, I think. I think I just love being the heel <laughs> on this pod. It's just it's just fun for me. Um, all right, so that's our college football stuff. Interesting week, amazing week six, and uh, interesting week seven. Not a whole lot to get uber excited about. Michigan State, Indiana is interesting. Oklahoma State, the Pokies, having a very quietly good season. 5-0. and They're taking on Texas. Uh, Auburn, Arkansas. Kentucky and Georgia is kind of the big game, but I get a similar feeling about this game as I did with Arkansas and Georgia, which is that I think Georgia just steamrolls them again. But you never know. It's just it's in Athens, so we'll, we'll see there. Oh God, it's week seven? We're going into week seven. Arizona State with a big game against Utah. But other than that, not a whole lot going on. But, of course, as we know, when that happens in college football, it only means one thing. Mm-hmm. May- mayhem is about to ensue. Ensue, I should say. And UCF Cincinnati, could that could be a little bit of a dark horse. We will see. We'll see. Should be, uh, should be interesting. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap up the pod here, talking about some of the other – sports and everything going on this weekend so uh the fury and wilder fight so you didn't watch it i know you're not i, a, not. I know you're not a huge boxing guy i did i did not order the pay-per-view. At christmas <laughs> there you go uh i did not order the pay-per-view because it's ridiculous for anybody to order the pay-per-view because you can easily find streams online and watch for free and uh i'm cheap and poor so that's what i did and i have to say I've watched, I, I went through a big U, U, uh, UFC phase and um, I enjoy boxing, but I usually only watch for like the big time, you know, fights, right? The big fights and the big cards. This might've been the greatest fight I've ever seen. Uh, it was the end of the trilogy, the, the history between Wilder and Fury. It was a draw. The first time they fought, Fury destroyed him in the second, uh, destroyed Fury, uh, Fury destroyed Wilder in the second fight. And then this one, there was already a there's a weird backstory with this fight where Tyson Fury was supposed to fight Anthony Joshua next. 
and because he had won the second fight, you know, he just already and demolished Deontay Wilder that he was like, all right, I'm just moving on to the next fight. Wilder chain uh, challenged that actually took him to court over it. And the ruling was that they had to fight a third fight that Wilder was, uh, uh, he was, he got a rematch basically. I'm not sure what word I was trying to use there, that he was entitled to a rematch to go after it. And this was just two guys, you know, the thing with Wilder is he has that terrifying knockout power with his right hand. I mean, he's 42 and one in his career. I think he has like 38 knockouts. Um, like the dude just, his right hand is as filthy and dangerous as anything in boxing. Probably clean it. <laughs> yes, he probably should. And so Fury was pissed off about this. And then there was a, this fight was supposed to happen in, in August. And then there was a COVID breakout. So his whole training camp basically was for nothing. Then they reset it and push it back to last or till Saturday night. And it was just two heavy heavyweights going at it. There were five total knockdowns plus the knockout between the two fury gets knocked down twice uh wilder got knocked down three times including the knockout it was just an all-around heavyweights 11 went 11 of the 12 rounds before fury finally knocked him down and fury was just outboxing him the entire time whereas wilder's the guy with the crazy right hand but seeing two enormous guys both guys are like six seven both are massive human beings you know our generation scott you know we were kind of post tyson you know, we didn't really get a chance to appreciate Tyson. And since him, there hasn't been much of a heavyweight boxer. And the best boxer of our lifetime has been Floyd Mayweather and then Manny Pacquiao. So we haven't really yeah. had like a true, you know, heavyweight rivalry, heavyweight. super entertaining, yeah. like getting a chance to see that with the, the kind of knockout power that they had. The entire undercard were all heavyweights, which I loved. It was great because you just, again, you're seeing these guys who have the most dangerous hands you know in all of boxing basically in terms of power and it, it really just turned out to be a, a, a remarkable fight and i was really glad i stayed up and, and watched the whole thing because it was it was awesome man it was awesome especially to cap off that day in college football it was sick yeah i i didn't watch uh, i'm not a big boxing guy i was around so how dare you say my generation i was around for fraser ali three so um were you no, really? I'm kidding. I was, I was no. Surprised. I was like, Jesus Christ, how old are you? <laughs> no, I was not. Uh, I was around for a little bit. I, I remember uh, as a kid watching the uh, Tyson Evander Holyfield thing. Like um, as a kid, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like for our generation, like we, like as an adult, being able to yeah. appreciate it is different than like, you know, a kid. So knowing, I don't know how much of a, a, a sports historian you are in the boxing realm, but do you think it was a better fight than um, Frazier Ali, 1971, the fight of no, the century? No, 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 it's, it's not, it's not in that category. It, it's definitely the best heavyweight that, you know, younger millennials and on have been able to have been able to see it in terms of a fight. Um, I don't, I mean, there are people who have been very, you know, kind of dramatic overselling it saying, Oh, it's, it's one of the best fights ever. It's one of the best trilogies ever. It's like, no, I, it doesn't compare to any of the Ollie Foreman, Ollie Frazier, any of those kinds of fights. No. Um, but it, it is, it, it does deserve more respect than I think some people give it. And like my neighbor uh, is, is a big UFC guy. He trains and kickboxes. He was a Marine, I think. 
and uh or he was in the military and and you know he's you know taught me a decent amount about boxing it's a sport that i i don't claim to know a ton about but i do find interesting and he always he's kind of a negative guy you know he kind of always downplays it like oh you know that's not a big deal you know whatever like you know and he's kind of a little bit of a know-it-all and uh he was kind of saying, you know, oh, I wasn't really that good of a fight, you know, kind of poo-pooing it. And like, meanwhile, I'm sitting over here as like a normal casual fan, like, holy shit, that fight was absolutely incredible, you know? And so I think if you're really, really into boxing, you know, it's your favorite thing. You might be able to point out certain things like Tyson Fury kind of using his body weight to put on Wilder to kind of tire him out. But if you're just a casual fan and you just kind of like to see two guys beating the crap out of each other, you know, I, it's, it, I don't know. I, and I've, I think I've said this on the pod before, but Max Kellerman has one of the greatest arguments in sports media history when it comes to boxing. And, and I love when he, whenever he brings it up, but it's, you know, if you, he's like, you know how I know that boxing is the most popular sport in the world. He's like, if you're walking down the street, right. And there's a, a guy playing, there's a five on five pickup game going on at a public course and in the park, there's some guys playing baseball or a flag football, you know, game going on or whatever. And you kind of walk and, and then all of a sudden you turn the corner and there's two guys fist fighting. Which are you going to go see first? Like, where's your attention going to go? Right. Sure. He's like, and yeah. then he and he says, you're going to go watch the fight. Right. Which is why he, he says it's the most popular sport. He's like, but if you're walking down the street and LeBron James and, uh, you know, Giannis and. Luka Doncic are all playing pickup on that street corner and there's a random fight that breaks out. You couldn't give two shits about the fight. You're going to go watch, you know, LeBron and Luka. And that's why he says, when you're just talking about the sport itself, boxing is the most popular sport in the world. And I just always found that to be like so fascinating because it's like, yeah, there's something primal and weird about us as humans where we like to see people beat the living crap out of each other. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun, and uh, it was uh, it was a again amazing way to cap off a, a wild Saturday. Um, now baseball, I'm gonna be baseball. Uh, playoffs are going off. If you didn't see the Sunday night finish, bottom of the thirteenth inning, and the catcher Christian Velasquez, Christian Vasquez, yeah, Vasquez, yeah, of the uh, of the Red Sox takes one over the monster to uh to win the game now there was an interesting call there a ground rule double that basically you know he hit into the gap in Fenway and you know there's that short fence there in right center field and all of right field for Fenway and the ball hits the wall in the air then comes back hits the ground and then as the right fielder comes up to to try to make a play on the ball it hits off his leg and then bounces over the wall now this is while there was a guy on first base and they called it a ground rule double and the guy would have scored there if it had stayed in the ballpark because it hopped over and it ended up having to call a ground rule double by rule. I'm very curious as to a, like your reaction to that, but then be anything else that you've noticed from, from this past weekend of, of uh, playoff baseball. Yeah. So that, um, that ground rule double play, just to, to clarify at the top, the umpires have no discretion as the, the way the rules read, the umpires have no discretion on balls that are that are hit out of play, whether that's off a bat, off off a player, whatever. So they were perfectly within 
the the right the way that the rules read to call that a ground rule double the fact that it was in such a big part of the game that late in the game and in that spot in the game uh is is where i think a lot of people have trouble with the call but the umpires were perfectly like by the book on that play calling it a ground rule double um and of course uh, with the guy on first um then it becomes a little more ambiguous, but the rule still reads that you, he can advance one base um, beyond now, what does he, he was already attempting to. Does he to. have to have stepped on third base already by the time the ball bounces over in order for him to have? Because the base runner stole, he was stealing on the swing. Yes. I think it was a, a, a Zarena or a Rosarena. A Rosarena, yeah. Was on so first. he has to, he has to. I've think already of, stepped on the bag. Yeah. Think of think of each of the bases as like acquiring that 90 foot territory, like a running back gaining four yards to get a first down. Right. It's like risk. Um right. So so he has to have acquired that base already and advanced to be able to be granted the extra 90 feet beyond okay. that. Um if he's in the middle of a path it's not like well he's 75 percent of the way there so it's you give it to him yeah um you know and they're not going to bring out chains to spot where he was when the ball bounced over the fence you know what i mean yeah so um so it's it's in, entirely at that point uh, there's there's a book ruling and then it's judgmental obviously like now we have enough cameras to be like yeah he definitely had not hit third base but and he was like a, he was like out. a step off of it like he was he was close hey, man Game because of I, I thought it was the correct call. And it's funny because that rule is, is, you know, baseball is one of those sports and it's the same thing with football as well. And, you know, every level has kind of different rules about that. Like I remember playing in my club league where it was, if you were more than halfway that it was assumed that you got that base already, therefore you could advance one more base after that. But in the majors, that's why I was confused because I was watching the yep. Sunday night game. So we didn't have the audio on for that. So we couldn't hear how it was explained. But that makes sense once you uh, once you said it. So how how are you yep. feeling right now um, for the rest of the MLB playoffs? Who do, who's your picks to win each of the series? Good. The Astros are cheating again, so there's that. Um, oh my god! The, they're stealing signs from the. Uh, the how, but how do White we know? Actually, no, just oh, I, I just don't joking. know. Okay. <laughs> just, I was gonna say because the, the White Sox <laughs> legitimately are making that claim right now. The pitcher, the it's, relief pitcher, was. It's hilarious. Yeah, I first of all it's completely confounded. I think it's based on precedent. And also to me, unless there's evidence that, that the Astros are continuing to do what they did in the, in 2017 using cameras and, and garbage cans and all that crap. Uh, stealing signs is to me, if you're just a, like a runner on second and you're figuring out the, the Stein pattern and you're giving it to your dugout, it's part of the game, man. Yeah. Sorry, be better at calling your signs. I don't well, know. And I loved the. Um, uh, did you hear the burn from Dusty Baker? So no, Dusty Dusty Baker was was uh, asked about his response or about the relief pitcher who had said who had claimed that the Ashes were stealing signs again, and uh, Dusty Baker goes, "I didn't even know who you were before you came in in this series." <laughs> and I was like, "Damn, Dusty, Big bun, Dusty." Well, you can um, get away with that when you've been in baseball for sixty years, like Dusty yeah. has. So, well, here, give <laughs> me, uh, give me picks here for the rest of the uh, the series. Now, some of this could end by the time this comes out, so we'll we'll see here while yeah. we have all the series still up. Uh, Red Sox so, Rays. Who do you have moving? So forward? this is a big game tonight. Uh, I think the I think the the Rays tie it up and they go to a critical game five 
Rays Ooh. win in uh, in Game Five in Tampa Bay. Um, I like that. All right. But- uh, I will I will say the Red Sox win tonight and uh, move on to the next round. White Sox, yeah. Houston. Houston's up 2-1 right now, and uh, game four was supposed to be today, but it got pushed to Tuesday because of uh, weather in the Chicago area. How about this matchup of managers between Tony La Russa and Dusty Baker? It feels like the early 90s. Yeah. In the Bay Area again. Tony, Tony LaRusso <laughs> also dropped an all, just an all-time old white guy line where he goes, he was asked about his pitcher's comments about the Astros stealing signs. And he goes, This is America, isn't it? He can say whatever he wants. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, Tony LaRusso. Right. Be older and <laughs> Jesus, whiter. Tony. Uh, who yeah, do you have moving really. on from this um, series? So I like I'm gonna take the White Sox. They have more pitching. And they have, they're way deeper at pitching than than the Astros have been all season long. Astros have been a better offensive team, but I like the White Sox because of the the bullpen power they provide. I want to go with the White Sox as well, but I I just I believe in the top of that lineup. I mean, I know the Astros aren't the Astros of old, but that lineup is still really dangerous at the top. And the big difference here for me is experience. The this Astros team has a ton of experience on them yeah. in the postseason, and and uh, I think they get it done. Uh, on the NL side, we have the Braves and the Brewers right now. Uh, series tied Braves at one won game. Today. Yeah, yeah, Braves are so yeah. So it's two one Atlanta. Two, one. Yeah. right now. Uh, just want to remind everybody when we made our when we were doing our baseball preview, which is probably the last time we talked about baseball on the pod. Uh, I did have the Braves winning the World Series, but it was before Acuna got hurt. So, uh, but hey, you know what? They're up two one. I'm pulling for the Brewers here, but uh, you like the Braves moving forward or the Brewers? I do not. I like the Brewers moving forward for the Ooh. same reason uh, that I picked the White Sox. Their bullpen is deep. Their pitching is deep. Uh, they have one of the the leading NL uh, um, Cy Young candidates. Um, and then their offense, they can they can hit you many different ways. I don't think they're as potent um, on offense as they've been in previous years. But the Brewers have enough pitching to get you to the next level, especially in a five game series. Tough place to play in Atlanta, though. That that ballpark is a tough place to play. Uh, I'm going to take the Braves to close it out here at home in game four. It should, yeah. should, it'll be a tough game, but I am pulling from Milwaukee as a fan. But, you know, my pick the beginning of the year is still alive, so I'm going to ride with that. And, and how about how cool the uh, this series, the only two teams that Hank Aaron ever played for in the year that he oh, passed Oh, that is away, cool. Yeah, how about each that? other in the, in the playoffs. How about that? All right, in the last series – the San Francisco Giants and the Dodgers. Giants take game one, 4-0. Going to Dodger Stadium to, uh, tonight. Yeah, Scherzer on the mound tonight. Uh, I think we're throwing out uh, Alex Wood. So that's going to be a pitcher's duel down in L.A. Um, again, I think I think the, the Dodgers have us in terms of starting rotation, even as strong as the Giants starters have been. Logan Webb threw an absolute gem in game one. Um, Gossman looked okay in game two, but he hasn't pitched well against the Dodgers all year. Uh, um, and to me, the, bu- the bullpen uh, is, is where you're going to win these games. And that's, that's so true of, of most every postseason matchup. I like the Giants bullpen in terms of depth and, and strength um, more than the, the Dodgers. They, they have a deep bullpen too. Like Trinan's been amazing all year. Um, uh, who's the closer? Uh, Jensen. Kevin and that, Jensen has has been off and on. So that that to me is the difference. The, the Giants have four guys who can close out games. 
Yeah. And I was going to say Jensen's had a really good season. Uh, he struggled a couple of times, a couple of the last, you know, post seasons here. He was pretty good. He got them through last year. Like he did enough for them to win the world series last year, but I don't trust him. I don't trust him as, as the anchor. He's one of those guys that you've seen, like almost like Chapman where it's like, you've seen him do it, but are you a hundred percent confident in it? And I'm definitely not. I'm riding with your Giants. I think the Giants win it in five. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to be a tight. Yeah. Is it AT&T Park still? Yeah, it is. Okay. I, I still call it Pac Bell, which is what it was originally called. Pacific Bell Park when I opened. Well, and SBC. And... Oh, no, it's Oracle now. I'm sorry. It, I was going right. to say, yeah, it, it it was, I, 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 I thought it had changed. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm pulling for your boys. And uh, and you. those the, and we'll, we'll see. We got Monday Night Football here kicking off in just a little bit for us again all three of us are on the ravens here to cover the seven points so uh let's uh let's make a mockery of carson wentz and watch him lose on national tv that would be a great way to to start off the week um that's all we got for y'all today Uh, we will be back later in the week maybe with Vito, maybe not but you will definitely have me and scotty we will preview week six in the nfl week seven in college football we will catch everybody up to date on the MLB playoffs. We will probably have the NL and ALCS set by that point, but uh, if if not, we'll have a pretty good idea at least of some of the teams that move on, and we'll uh, we'll keep this thing moving. Look, it's one of the best times for sports in the year, the entire year. And if if you're looking for something, I know the fall people have to go out, but I don't know. I'm exhausted after this summer. I'm enjoying some calm, enjoying the weekend. So have a wonderful rest of your week. Scotty and I, as always, we appreciate y'all for listening. Follow us on all the social medias and all that jazz. You guys know where to find us. Tell somebody you listened to the pod and tell them to listen and that they're an idiot if they don't. So uh, just be really harsh and forceful with them. I'm sure that'll get them to listen. (laughs) For Scotty, and uh, again, sending our love to our boy Vito. Uh, I'm Jeff. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Friday. Have a wonderful week. And as always, take it easy, everybody.